Hello there, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Before we go and inaugurate and crown ourselves the King of the Ring, 1997 that is, I've got a massive, amazing announcement. After much, much, much consternation and demand, we have finally buckled and are now, at last, Attitude Era podcast t-shirts are available to wear on your torsos. Head on over to teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash AE podcast and take a look at the five studly t-shirts available. You can get yourself a boss man behaving badly the new logo, the classic logo, a beautiful Glag A t-shirt, or Adam has made a fabulous You Think This Is About Coffee shirt. These are all available in multiple sizes, shipping worldwide. They are available in a variety of colors, and as well as that, they're available in sizes all the way from small to 5XL, so we can cater for anyone of any shape and size, and what better place to wear your shirt than to the Attitude Era podcast live show taking place September 7th at the King's Place Theatre. We're back, baby. Three times we are at the London Podcast Festival joining How To Wrestling. We're going to be meeting all of our fans there and we hope to see you among them. Tickets are available now from a mere £9.50 to get entry. And if you buy three or more tickets across any of the podcast festival events, you will get 15% off. Every year this has become like a pilgrimage for the Glad Gay community and team friendship and the how-to universe. So we hope to see you all there and see me pull double duty once again, bringing you two lovely live shows. The A podcast will of course be talking about the fabulous weird world of advertisements featuring wrestlers and how-to wrestling will be doing the much-anticipated episode all about the best and the worst. We're talking about music in professional wrestling. It promises to be a wild time. September 7th at the King's Place Theatre. Get your tickets now from kingsplace.co.uk or make sure you give the London Podfest a follow on Twitter for any and all updates about the festival as new shows are continuing to be added. But speaking of new shows, it's time for this new show. Settle in. Don the Crown. It's King of the Ring 1997. (laughs) Welcome to the Attitude Era podcast. Season 4 continues. We're prologuing the fuck out of it. And it's time to inaugurate another regal one as it's King of the Ring 1997. Hello everyone once again. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin Mann. Donning the crown once again as I saddle up alongside my cohorts, comrades and colleagues. First to my left... Adam the King Bibolo. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm feeling pretty royal. Pretty royal, huh? Yeah, because we're going to have a new King of the Ring, and it's not going to be Billy Gunn. <laughs> so this is going to be a laugh. Like. Hashtag not my King of the Ring. If it's <laughs> <literally> <laughs> any other King of the Ring. Yeah. I mean, does it feel like a moot point when you're going back in time like we are in this season, going back to a time before we had a King Gunn? 
What do you mean moot point? <laughs> I mean, is it, I mean, is it, is it even worth talking about a time when there was no King I mean, Billy? There's the tournament before Billy Gunn, and then there's the tournament after Billy Gunn. And after Billy Gunn, the tournament was irrelevant. And beforehand, I can only assume it was equally as irrelevant. Not really much point in doing this then, really. Um, <laughs> call it a night. I get my coat. So, Adam, you've been uh, making the game, of course, as well recently. Mm -hmm. uh, any long-term effects for listeners who are maybe not following along on Patreon that they should be aware of? Uh, I, I'm a little more dark-sided these days. Yeah. Like things didn't go to plan. It wasn't a case of being Pete Gaston so much as dark-sided. And while I've shaken most of it off, like there's still, you know, I might whip out some footage at some point, or yeah. like, you know, I might start chewing gum and wearing shades during this podcast. If I do, just act natural. The, like. the bridge of your nose has changed shape. Yeah, well, that's, so that was are, definitely going to happen. That, so like, that has happened at least. It's ballooned inside. Yeah. It turns out these aren't co-hosts. They're some buddies of his. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all have a nice time together. And to my right, unquestionably the baddest king on the planet, Ooh. it's King Billy Keeble. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. But I, I've been with you for a couple of hours already before recording. And I haven't let it slip. I've got shin splints at the moment. What? Shin so, so splints? I've, yeah, I've got, I've, I'm in a lot of pain when I walk. I'm walking like I've brought polio back. Whoa! Yeah. How did you keep this from us until now? Well, I, I don't think you noticed, but I was walking slightly behind you the whole time. <laughs> we shouldn't have had that 10-mile walk. No, we yeah. shouldn't have. Yeah, no, I've, had, I've had shin splints this week. I no. just thought you were cowboy role-playing to an next yeah, level no, and walking like a cowboy. <laughs> like you're going to draw at any moment. Oh, really? I know, it's, no. it's bad. Are you all right? Yeah. I'm on painkillers, it's fine. What, why? Why have you got shin splints? I don't know. <laughs> Just woke up I, one No, day. literally, literally, I woke up on, I mean, three days ago, and I was like, my shins hurt, and they, they have hurt since, and there's nothing that's caused it. This has happened to the King of the King of the Ring 98 was when you had the, the shoe incident. Oh my God, seriously? Are we talking about a cursed show here now? Should we circumvent these ones and go Break a leg, it? shin splints. Billy, Billy Gunn. Gunn. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. If there is a curse, maybe. If you don't get the touch of King Billy, it's not. It's going to be pegs and pestilence on your house. <laughs> so, it's been a wild ride since we had a cold day in hell, and conspicuous by his absence here tonight is Shawn Michaels. Also conspicuous by his absence is Brett the Hitman Hart. They're meant to be main eventing it. Instead, they're sitting at home. More on that later. It's time for King of the Ring 1997. Tonight will be a night of firsts. For the first time, two reigning tag team champions will put their gold aside to wage war against one another. But this is no ordinary tag team, and these are no ordinary combatants. Both men are looking for respect from an unlikely source, a partner. For the first time, we may see an African-American as WWF champion, but Farouk is not going into battle alone. He has the support of a nation. A nation he has manipulated into believing its existence is predicated solely on this victory. A victory that must come at the hands of a vulnerable undertaker whose haunting past has forced an unlikely reunion with Paul Bearer. For the first time, one of these men will become King of the Ring, and to the victor will go the spoils. Tonight will be a night of firsts. A night of firsts. And alarming trumpets as well. Very scary trumpets. I mean, these were evil kings that they were really talking about with these evil trumpets. Yeah. What's your favourite evil king? Evil king. Hmm. I know you're fascinated by monarchy and <laughs> like British government and history in general. I mean, like... I've got a lot of favourite prime ministers. <laughs> you know, I've not got many favourite kings. Like. I mean, assume all the kings were evil. Like, Pretty you know? much, yeah. King Colin Firth from A King's Speech. 
Yeah. Because he seemed like kind of like we, you know, evil. me and the rest of the Irish, like, what do you think? That I can take him? You think I can take him? Like, you know, I think we could. <laughs> you know, we, we missed our chance, like, you know, before you really rally back from World War II. Guy's got not, not got a lot of self-confidence. So he's my favorite king because he was he was he was beatable, and you, you got <laughs> and you know, when you got you got a heel champion on top, he, he must be beatable, and uh, that's why I thought that King Edward was he was a beatable champion and a beatable monarch, and it was good for the business. <laughs> How about uh, you? Uh, you got a favorite evil king? Oh, I, I know fuck all about kings and queens. Really? I have no clue. I, I I hear the Mad King George thrown around a lot, which sounds like a great gimmick. To be fair. But I don't know enough about kings. Is he queens. the same as the tyrant George? Of course. I think that must be one mm. of the same. Ah, right. unless there's a couple of shithead Georges. Like, yeah. <laughs> Billy, you're well read. You got any favourite kings? Uh, dark-sided King Theoden. Oh, <laughs> you, y'all are going for reality. I'm going for fiction. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> favourite instruments is the evil Phaedon. <laughs> it's like the skull of the Phaedon. And one and two and three. <laughs> <laughs> so we are creating a King of the Ring here tonight, but it's a night of firsts because many things here could happen. Because at the moment, in the World Wrestling Federation, anything can happen. We could have an African-American as the World Heavyweight Champion. Oh my goodness. Preposterous. What What are the odds? Anything could happen. <laughs> Anything could happen. Now, Billy, I don't know if you've been watching the Raws week to week here. I have, have not. Now, uh, were you shocked that we went straight off the bat with kind of Farouk's challenging for the belt? And he's black. N- no. Well, no, no well, yeah, yes and no. I didn't think they'd just bring it up. Because if you're going to bring it up, you surely have to have a much shorter time than 22 years to, <laughs> to actually, to, to follow, actually through. Follow, follow through with yeah. it. So, like, if you're going to say that in 1997, obviously you don't necessarily have to have Farouk win then, on yeah. this night. But soon. But soon. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, might have a first black champion, cut to 22 years later. <laughs> now, I think a lot of people might point out they're going to go, oh, Booker T, world heavyweight champion. World heavyweight champion. Nah. Smackdown, when that big was belt. very much not that, you know, it's not a proper big belt, is it? Like they, they, you know, so many times over the years, WWE have gone out of their way to be like, oh, the world heavyweight championship, that is great. Oh, but, yeah. But the WWE championship. Come on, think about all the great world heavyweight champions there have been, like Rey Mysterio, uh-huh. King Booker. David Arquette. You know, Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, you know, they, 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 I think the strongest run with that belt was the relinquishing of the belt by Dave Batista every mm. other week. <laughs> <laughs> so we segue from the kind of uh, the the quite alarming, like it, it, we have the framing of it being like the old kind of King of the Ring with the kind of the the trumpets and very runescapey by way of Alton Towers. Yeah, mm. King's yeah. Quest vibe to it. But they are very much kicking in the door here now with this attitude business. Like this is Russo is, is writing the bulk of this show yeah. now. It seems a lot of this stuff is coming through. And there's just something about them being like, this militant black extremist could become the world heavyweight champion. <laughs> Cut to men in pajamas by a big cardboard door. Like. They, they are like Joker's henchmen. <laughs> yes! Oh, yes. Well, like one on. is called Ha, and one's called Tee Hee, or something like, like that. There, there was like one of the Batman cartoons, it wasn't like one of the good ones, but he did have like two big blokes who looked like them, and they were called Punch and Judy. <laughs> 
And like, it, it was, I remember that very strongly. I've got a weird feeling this has come up before on the podcast with Rob Ford. I remember you talking about him being the Joker and having henchmen <laughs> called Crack and Pipe. <laughs> Wow, that was like early days podcast. Yeah, that, that that's aged well. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we can't help that fact. So we cut at the start to something that that took my eyes away and distracted me a good bit, which was a lady selling a rose. Did you happen to catch this, Billy? No. Because we rewound like four times to get a <laughs> blow by blow analysis of the exchange that happened here. They're doing the sweeping shot of the crowd. It's just a regular shot, isn't it? Right. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, there's someone who's like being shoved a rose at and they look kind of a bit like uh, perturbed yeah and then she takes the rose from the person that was selling it and the person sell- she sees the camera the person that was selling it and she's like woo WWF and then gets right into it I don't know how to describe the people it reminded me of like in Lincolnshire there used to be folks who would sell like Heather lucky and, Heather yeah, yeah. they'd be like oh we've got lucky Irish Heather here that we're selling I'd be like what the fuck are you doing sell on the streets of, of England <laughs> stop that that's for us what? Limited resource. No! I, I, I would, I'd buy as much as I could carry to stop you from getting the magic yeah. Irish Heather, obviously. Well, they do it with roses as well. Like, I don't know if you've ever been anywhere with your partner, like, in, say, a restaurant where you can sit outside and then someone will come past with a load of roses and be like, oh, you're on a date, so you want to spend a fiver? Because oh, I bet she'll be cross if you don't. Like, when I was on a holiday recently and like we were in a restaurant and a man came in with a big bunch of roses and he had a nice suit on, but he looked kind of like a little bit nervous. You know, a little bit kind of like, oh... Oh, I don't know if she's going to say yes. And we were like, oh, it's romantic. A man's come with his big bushel of roses. And he really looked nervous because then he went over to people and started going, you want to buy a rose? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he went to each table and no one bought one, bless him. Oh, so he didn't have the confidence. Yeah, he you wasn't know? selling it. Like. See, there's ways he can do that and like make some money off, off, off stuff like that. You just don't sell like roses. Say, sell something like garlic bread. Like go around to a table garlic bread legitimately would you like to buy a a little (laughs) stick of garlic bread or toothpicks wandering around with a packet of cigarettes like you want want a cig (laughs) (laughs) welcome everyone Vince McMahon can't welcome everyone he can only welcome you Is this where he welcomes us to the international announce teams as well? Yeah, he's yes. fucking well into this. <laughs> he loves these guys. He's proud of his announcers here tonight. So Vince McMahon joins us here alongside JR. Jerry the King Lawler, conspicuous by his absence here tonight, is taking part in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And he's just not on commentary at all. And according to JR, this made King absolutely delighted. He was so happy that he finally got to be on pay-per-view, mm. not have to call a match, and just wrestle. Are you talking character Lawler or shoot Jerry Lawler? Shoot Jerry like, Lawler. That's fair. Like... It's, what he, it's what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. I get that. There, there, his voice was missed, though, for me this night. Yeah, how do you, how do you reconcile... JR and Vince McMahon, both of whom are meant to be there's play no by colour. play. There's no colour tonight, so it is a bit distracting. Yeah. There's the colour black from JR's cowboy hat. Like, yes. That's it, like, you know. It's a bit bland. There's only so much two baby faces doing play by play you can take, really. Like, all it is is Vince says, What a manoeuvre, then, uh, then JR tells us what that manoeuvre is called. <laughs> He's that's, asking him, yeah, what, what a manoeuvre? What, what that manoeuvre? <laughs> <laughs> that's more or less what commentary is tonight. So, yeah, Vince McMahon stands up and goes over, like, I Take a look at this! Carlos Cabrera, Hugo Sedovich, the Spanish goddamn announce team. Yeah, look at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's intense. He's got a tux on, by the way. You think that's intense? Talk about Ray Rougeau, one of the Rougeau <laughs> brothers. Now he's speaking French, telling you what's going on. King of the Ring, 97. <laughs> Where's this for Moe Margolin and Sean Penn? You know? Where, where are my boys getting this properly like? I, you know? I, I like 
that he did this, and it's better than what they do now. Whereas it's like here's them, they wave, and we'll just talk over them, and like I I think it's quite nice and respectful to introduce us to them. All right, counterpoint: when you have all the different language and ends teams all lined up like that, it very much is. You can tell, even though you don't understand most of the languages, you can tell who's good at their job and who's not yeah, from absolutely. the one second. You know yeah. that Hindi team. Fucking pros, man. Oh, yeah, we're talking like the modern day. When yeah, yeah. Now it's on pay-per-view. They don't show you at the start. It's like halfway through the show, they're like, just going to show you how many fucking announcers we have, by the way. Yeah. And it will cut to like 15 tables all in a row. And it's like Eurovision. You have to go down every single one of them. And you're right. Some of them are like, in their language, you can imagine they're saying like, hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Stomping Grounds. We're here tonight having a great time. And then there's the guys that are there like doing the fist and the Oi! point in the air. Yeah. Like, yeah, and they're in synchronicity together. They've got the gimmicks, their catchphrases. The Hindi guys always have like, kind of, they'll turn down and be like, Smackdown, number one. <laughs> you know, they have a real fucking button on it. Like, like a sting. Like. I love that. It's so goddamn good. Beat around the bush here. We're starting off with uh, King of the Ring. And a couple things to know about King of the Ring. Number one, we were distracted by this early going stuff because this was us realising this was the first three-hour show we've had to review. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, as soon as I put on it, I was like, no! <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, like, when we were watching this, we turned out, oh, we have to change our plans now for this, like, because this is, you know, this a three-hour show when you've been going through the two-hour shows. Yep. It's a big shock to the system. King of the Rings not a big force, so I didn't anticipate a three-hour show. It's weird that that extra hour makes all the difference, but when I had it in my head, we were watching a two-hour show, it was like, oh yeah, we'll hang out in the morning, we'll watch it, and then I'll go about my day. And then when you came around and we put it on, we saw three hours, I was genuinely like, I'm, I'm going to have to reschedule some things here, Kevin. <laughs> that one hour makes all the difference. It is a very, very difficult all-the-way-through watch, particularly as well, King of the Ring does struggle with this. I love the concept, in theory, yeah. of the tournament. But it takes up a lot of the show, mm -hmm. and very often is the case, and it is no exception in 1997 here, that the tournament is the furthest thing from anyone's mind. Because we're all about the Hart Foundation, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the return of Shawn Michaels, the issues within the nation, everything except this tournament, yep. which takes up more than half of tonight's. And yet, we've only got semi-finals and the final tonight. Yeah. Like. Oh, man. So it's even still, it's a trimmed back affair, and it still takes up too much time. So we're starting things off. Ahmed Johnson taking on Hunter Hearst Helmsley in our King of the Ring semi-final match. Now, I've been reading up a little bit about old Ahmed Johnson because, uh, you know, things are things move fast here. And I think we all have been falling foul of taking Ahmed and Johnson for granted in our last few episodes without realising that he'll be gone for pretty much a long, 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 long time very, very soon. So I tried to read up a little bit about Ahmed because he was in the old news recently. I don't know if you heard. Recently, uh, recently. Yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin on his podcast. And we're in 2019 uh, summer at the moment, folks, if you're listening in the future. But Steve Austin had Mark Henry on his podcast and they went on and at length about how Steve Austin was uh, not racist like Ahmed Johnson said that he was. Because when Ahmed Johnson won the Intercontinental Championship, I think we mentioned this in one of his first episodes, Ahmed had said that he'd come across a lot of racism in the locker room and that someone had wrote, congratulations, N-word, on his yeah, car. Right. Now, what we didn't know was that Ahmed had actually said in a few shoot interviews that a fan had told him that he'd seen Stone Cold Steve Austin messing around near his car. Now, Ahmed never said, Stone Cold, you did it, I'm coming to get you. But he's like, well, that's the only thing I heard, so... 
You know, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, that's the truth. That's yeah. the truth. Okay. And Mark Hen- Austin's never mentioned it before because he didn't think he had to dignify us. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark Henry came on Austin's podcast to let everyone know what a not racist Steve Austin was. And then Steve Austin was like, well, thank you very much for saying that. I'm not racist because, uh, as we know, Ahmed Johnson's really stupid and you can confirm that. He's like, yeah, no, Ahmed Johnson's really dumb. He's really stupid. You're not racist. Uh, everyone disregard everything he said. So I know Ahmed has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but we can yeah. add Mark Henry to that list as well, it seems. Yeah. Cool. I don't know where I stand in all that, like... Friend of the show, Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> one of the first people to record a plug for us. But, I mean, I don't know where I stand with Austin because this, you know, this isn't the first time I've heard people say such accusations about Steve Austin. I I would not be surprised if Austin has got some internalized racism about him, mm. like, you know, growing up in Texas, being a white guy that made it to the top in the industry. There's, the territories that he went through were dripping with it. Like. Yeah, but I don't think Stone Cold's the kind of guy that would write that on someone's car. Doesn't seem like, like the type of thing a top guy would be doing. Really, does yeah, like no. he's, you know, even if he is, let's assume, that hateful and that full of bile, he's a smarter man than to do something like that. But at the same time, it is a very stone-cold thing to do to never address that or to yeah. talk about it. That's so him to just, like, please don't bring that up. Ever. Yeah. So I've found out some more stuff about Ahmed Johnson as we will, you know, not have much chance to chat more about Ahmed. Ahmed, incredibly, incredibly troubled upbringing. I found a video which I thought said Ahmed Johnson on shooting his father, but it was Ahmed Johnson shooting on his father. Uh, (laughs) But the contents of which were almost as alarming and shocking. Like his dad like wouldn't let him eat food in the house. If he saw him eat food in the house, he'd beat him. Jesus Christ. The the kids in the house were always really, really skinny. His dad was really violent. His dad rode with like a biker gang, apparently. Real tough customers and all that. And he said the one time his dad showed him love in his childhood was Ahmed was uh, playing baseball in school and the kid kept messing around with him, throwing the ball and hitting him with the ball. So Ahmed lost his temper and he hit the kid with the baseball bat. And then his dad came. That's to my boy. For <laughs> Literally, the ah- Ahmed was you know brought up you know to the, the office. You know he, he was covered in blood. Apparently, like it was a real horrible attack and all that. And he's like, you know, you got to come pick up your kid. He's suspended. And his dad's like, did you do this? Did you beat that child with a baseball bat? And he's like, yeah, dad, I did. He's like, oh, I love you so much. And he said it was the, it was the one time my dad was proud of me. And he, he hugged me, and all the biker gang were all like, yay! Oh. How fucked up is that? Yeah, that's terrifying. It's just that everyone, without question, has bad things to say about our Ahmed, it Mm. feels. Like, D'Lo Brown extensively talks to shoot interviews about how stupid Ahmed was, about, like, how Vince McMahon just wanted to give him money, but Ahmed would just not, like, take it. Isn't D'Lo, like, a complete sweetheart as well? Like, isn't he the kind of guy that doesn't normally badmouth people? I've always heard good things about D'Lo. Yeah, generally speaking. I've not heard a whole lot of people chatting about how much they love Ahmed or how great he was everyone talks about like how isolated he would be and how fucking I don't want to draw too many comparisons to the Ultimate Warrior though because there was obviously a race element with it I think Mm. that Ahmed did struggle with a lot of racism in his tenure in wrestling well he would have been champion I think otherwise like Ultimate Warrior was champion yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I think um, that is totally a race issue the fact that he never made it to champion because they were pushing him to the moon but they were making the top top guy Uh, even at this point Ahmed was still pegged as being a future champion yeah and one of the most consistently over guys on the show every week on Raw he gets such a big pop 
and it doesn't matter if he stumbles over his words. Like, that's the one thing I knew about Ahmed is, oh, he does silly promos. Every promo I've seen him do on Raw, doesn't matter how silly they get, it's like, oh, this guy's so angry he can't find his words. I mean, like, lo- loads of people stumble over their promos, though, like LOD. Yeah, like, Brett's Sid, hard, like. Brett, Sid, like, mm-hmm. they're just shouty guys. It's, yeah. just, it's just like, Ahmed's no different to yeah. those guys. But things seem to be falling off the Ahmed cart here in this one, folks. He's in the semi-finals with Triple H, and this was a bit of an awkward encounter, to say the least. China spoke for the first time ever the night after this. Mm. Yes. Yeah. She wanted Mick Foley to kiss her ass, to I kiss believe. Kiss her ass, yeah. It didn't sound very good at all. No. Sorry, the one thing that made me uncomfortable in this match is when we were watching it together, you mentioned like, oh, remind me when we record, I need to tell you something about Ahmed. And Joe, who was in the room, just very loudly went, oh, is this the thing with the penis? And you didn't tell me any more, like, is there anything about penis? Oh, yeah, it's just like, he's he talking about like his dad beating him and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's not, oh, you okay. know. <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with the penis. He, he literally, there was one bit when he was talking in his promo about like remembering like memories of it, like lying in his bed, and, like his penis was bloody and stuff like that because his dad had like hit him and, Jesus. you know, just, I've watched uh, two or three Ahmed shoot interviews and I will usually, I'm a sucker for watching shoot interviews. I love hearing them. I struggle to get through them. And this is someone who has watched, you know, from all the honky-tonk man fucking jokes we make, you know mm. we've watched the worst of the goddamn worst. But I just think with Ahmed Johnson, particularly as his name has come up recently, it's very easy for folks to just go, ah, Ahmed, the stupid idiot with the yeah. fucking crazy promos. He had a lifetime of hardship and grief that we could never fucking know. And that's before he got into the wrestling business. Yeah. Yep. You know? That and healthy business. That like. healthy, very... Yeah, and we're about to talk about race relations and WF later on, I guess. <laughs> so it's good to maybe chat a little bit about it now before we get on to Mr. Farouk in a bit. China has got a sign for her in the crowd saying, China is sexy. And Vincent Man goes, China? <laughs> sexy? <laughs> well, I'm sure to... Some people she is. All right. right. Yeah, because your taste is so fucking vanilla, Vince McMahon. Yeah. You're the one who's fucking promoting her in a tanning contest next week. Legitimately. A tanning contest. Yeah, right? They're they're pushing that. How does that work? Well, you you measure the tan before, and then you give it like 10 minutes or whatever and see who's tanned the most. You get get the Dulux, like... (laughs) Exactly, yeah, exactly. This is the shade we're going for. Go away, girls. Come back. Closest shade. We'll get the first person to hit that shade yeah. wins. Is, is that not literally the human equivalent of watching paint dry? Like you're literally yeah. waiting for a color <laughs> change to set in. Like Jr. has got all of his all of his material about Triple H and Greenwich. Yeah, because he's talking about the average house price here. Uh, talking about oh oh Hunter Hearst Helmsley he's not like you and me from Oklahoma Hunter Hearst Helmsley he's from get this folks Greenwich yeah Connecticut Greenwich where they've got get this jewelry stores you go in there you buy diamonds yeah the average house price nine hundred thousand dollars now two weeks before on Raw I didn't know it he said the average house price was five hundred thousand <laughs> now I know obviously in the in the Brexit world at the moment it's a bit tumultuous the market but. That's a bit of a shoot up there yeah. now, folks. Things were bad in 97, dude. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously Triple H had put his money in the housing market. He was all right, but everyone else was struggling with their fucking ham sandwiches in the WF. Like. <laughs> we get our grunt of the night very early oh. on here. Like, Ahmed Johnson hits Triple H with a big old shoulder tackle, and it's another big gaiju, like... <laughs> noise it's literally the first move of the entire <laughs> yeah, night i think it actually is yeah. and, and nothing tops it so yeah there's a lot of differences between these two guys as you as you could know that tell in the ring yeah and in jr he's on color here so he's, he's filling us in 
These guys, very different, different upbringings. Ahmed Johnson, he was in a gang when he was a child. He was known as the Bloods, a street gang, violent thugs, drive-by shootings. Triple H, he likes horses. <laughs> <laughs> and I like as well, after he does that move that elicits the grunt of the night, he just turns and goes, Motherfuck, this is a fight! You just realised. <laughs> the chops to Ahmed Johnson by Triple H have no effect. Yeah, he completely mm. no-sells him. Well, he puts the hands on the hips, Billy. You done it now. <laughs> you made a big mistake. <laughs> Very silly elbow drop by Ahmed Johnson. He just gets the ropes, he does a big wind-up. Like, oh, yeah. That is an elbow drop equivalent of an Ahmed Johnson promo. It was fucking fabulous. <laughs> Miscommunications begin in earnest, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys notice that maybe something wasn't right here? Just a little sloppy and fumbly, right? It felt like Triple H was saying, Ray, we're going to do this now. You know, he, he was calling the match. Yeah. But Ahmed was like, I'm the star. Yep. And you're just the young guy. You know, I'm the top guy, so I'm going to do this move instead. Yeah. And when he did that, like, three times with Triple H, he's like, I'm going to bend over now, you're going to yep. do your move. And Ahmed's just like, hands on his hips, like, no, nope, we're going to do this instead. <laughs> it it was really bad. It was like a dress rehearsal for the actual yeah. match. Yeah, it was, it was, it, Ahmed is, is not yes-anding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not done his improv classes. Yeah, like. this is Agent Michael Scarn right yeah. here. Like, you know. God, I'd never considered that before. Yes-and totally applies to wrestling. Yeah, it's it's the exact same improv, logic. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. The scissors kick that Ahmed does here. Now, this is the one where he gets the kidney. <laughs> I've never seen a scissors kick like this before. It's incredible. I loved it. It was like Triple H was the wrong way around and Ahmed was yeah. the wrong way around. It was the configuration that no one had ever done before. Yeah, they, they were both like oriented the same direction. So Triple H was like spine lengthways yeah, when he the was, tilt came down. He was pe- facing like he was going to give Ahmed a big back body yes. drop. Like mm. head down. His head right perpendicular to Ahmed's I'm sure body. That's what he thought was going to happen. And then Ahmed just goes, <laughs> and this, this big scissors kick, and his leg goes right down on the spine and kidney of Triple H. If it had been further up, he would have decapitated him. It made an amazing sound. Oh, yeah. man. So, Bob Buchanan, Alicia Fox, Booker T, or Truth. There's a lot of scissors kicks in the world. Mm. And all of them together, blindfolded and drunk, wouldn't have been as dangerous as this. Not even close. Fucking hell. China distracts the referee. Mercifully, we get the pedigree. And it's over. Straight yeah, away. That's it. Protected move. Yes. The yeah. pedigree is put over strong lately, i got to say. And JR calls it a big upset. I was very happy to see our, our boy Ahmed out there again, but... Man, I think the writing's on the wall a little bit here. If you can't work with Triple H, that's not a good sign, right? Yeah, no. the cracks are really showing now. So, yeah, uh, it pains me to tell you this is the last Ahmed Johnson match we will have on the podcast oh. for a considerable amount of time, but more on that next episode. Oh. Coming up next, we've got King of the Ring semi-final action. Another one. As Mankind takes on... Jerry the King Lawler. Adam, I want you to call this bad boy. But before we get into it, we have to talk a little bit about the relatively positive reception that we're getting from Mankind here. Yeah. He's very much on his way to turning face. Oh, man. Do you know what's been happening here, Billy? Well, I know that Paul's ditched him. Mm-hmm. So, and realigned with Undertaker, more on that later. Uh, so he's kind of on his own. And he's sort of everyone's seeing that mankind is actually not this evil monster. He's potentially more of a sort of a goofy 
child that we saw in 98 yeah. that people frequently take advantage of. That's for kind of sowing the seeds of maybe mankind's not that bad. It's just he hangs around with bad people. He's like vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And I think the big bit about this is why mankind has been getting it is uh, these very amazing, incredible. If you've not seen them, go stop listening to this and go watch them right now. Definitely. These sit down interviews with Jim Ross and mankind. And you know what? I could almost even forgive the quite chunky goldest ones mm. I, I get it man yeah i could almost forgive that because that was at least the format that gave us this that was the idea is that we were exactly. going to pull back the layers a little bit with goldest we wanted to see a bit of the real life dustin runnels there and we saw some of the real life mankind and this was all 100 percent foley his mm-hmm. his writing his take and we weave in not just mankind and his character and why he is the way he is Cactus Jack, mm-hmm. a young boy in his dream going to Madison Square Garden, dude love. Yeah. All of this. And this is coming from a guy who was told we don't want to acknowledge Cactus Jack because we want it to be something new. And now the character of mankind is now retconned to not be. I mean, I don't know if you guys listened to our How to Wrestling episode about it, but originally mm. mankind was meant to be a, a tormented pianist. Yeah. Which that's is right. why his fingers are all yes. taped together because his mom would break his fingers when he wouldn't get the symphony right and that's why that piano music plays mm-hmm. at the end is that he's hearing his beautiful symphonies and that's also why his fingers are always going <laughs> so yeah this is now not the case it is now mankind he wanted to be dude love so he could get the girls but because he was a weirdo and an oddball he ended up having to be cactus jack instead because he couldn't get the girls and be charismatic like Shawn michaels mm-hmm. so he had to do things to his body to get attention and he had to go to Japan and all that. Which means that by the time he did get to WWF, he's now a broken down piece of meat and he has to look his kids in the eye and know that he's going to go and ruin himself. Like, it's so emotional. Like, I I had taken for granted how great these were because I've seen so many clips Mm. on, like, DVDs and documentaries and I think it was on Attitude Era Mode they showed a bit of it I, I thought game. I had seen all of them because I had watched so had the DVD I. but no week to week there's a lot more of these than you actually would it's think it's like four ten minute segments over four episodes of Raw and the whole story is just like unbelievable it's heartbreaking it's, yeah because there's all these little details that I'd never seen before like when he talks about getting bullied and having to eat worms and then he says, like, you know, how he only ate one worm, but because of that, he got this reputation as the kid that eats worms forever. And do you think any girls are going to want to kiss a guy that eats worms? And he's, like, got tears in his eyes saying, like, mm. it's not fair. I'm a good kisser. And oh, it's, it's genuinely tragic. So like, good. Always talking about the mandible claw. And he's like, every time I put that move on, my opponent, I think, that's Vince McMahon. And I'm saying, why didn't you take me when I was young? When I was good? I'm like, ah! It's and unreal. This is 97, Maker. He's still got a lot of upsides. Yeah. But he's he's putting himself to saying, I'm not as good as I once was. He's already broken. Oh, yeah. and this is, unfortunately, though, gives Vince McMahon big fucking eyes because he lo- Vince loves this. Mm-hmm. This is Vince McMahon's eyes. is good shit, pal. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to get dude love. And... I have very fond memories of Dude Love from season one. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I like the corporate heel Dude yeah. Love getting manipulated and whatnot. I like him dancing, putting in fake teeth. Yeah. But I think we may find out why Mick Foley hates Dude Love on this mm, podcast okay. season. I don't know, because he hates it. He really does. And another thing we have to talk about in this match, before we get into it, is his opponent here, who's advanced in the King of the Ring, mm-hmm. Jerry, the King of the Ring Lawler, mm-hmm. who beat Goldust in the... Uh, yeah. In the quarterfinals to get here, 
you are familiar with that piece of business, Billy? What uh, what, what old Jerry was talking about in down Alabama way? Yeah, I'm also aware of what that young man shouted from the crowd. Ah, uh, so yeah. <laughs> I, good luck. <laughs> I had felt sure that we'd already had this promo. I don't know why I assumed these guys feuded ages ago because everyone knows the clip we're talking about. It's when Jerry's talking about gold dust, running around, <laughs> wearing wigs, kissing men like a flaming F word. And like, I figured that this must have been in the past when these guys had like a blood feud or something. Because for Jerry to have gone that far and said that on telly, they must be embroiled in a and big it's rivalry. Literally because it's because they were in a fucking quarterfinal match for the King of the Ring tournament. And like. and as well because they were down south, they were worried that the fans. And this is legitimately the reason they were worried the fans were going to cheer for King as King's the Southern hero because. You know, Memphis Wrestling and USWA got a lot of play in Alabama. And they were worried that the crowd were going to be too in favour of the King and not enough in favour of Goldust, who's the face. So, let's have him cut this heel promo, right? But the heel promo made him more babyface for the crowd. I was going to say, 1997 Alabama, I don't think homophobia is the thing to get heel heat there. Like. I mean, like it, it, when Jerry Lawler stood out in front of that live audience, and not only did he use that very horrible word, he also said, like, we should have renamed your kid Target, because everyone's had a... He, he implied as well that everyone had had sex with his little daughter. Jesus Christ. Dakota, who's probably like fucking all of four years old, who had been on Raw the week prior, like oh. fucking cute as a button, this little kid coming out and they're like, hey Dakota, you want to say everything to anyone? And they're like, blah, 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 blah. you know, kid went to business for herself, like real fucking unprofessional. <laughs> that was so awkward. <laughs> but like, it's not, it's not just a kid hypothetically, it's a little girl who we had seen on screen. Child. And like, look, there she is with her mom and dad who love her. And then Jerry Lawler's like, everyone's having sex with her. <laughs> also, homophobic slur. <laughs> Christ. And the crowd are like, Jerry, Jerry. And then he won. Yep. He won yeah, as beat well. Him. He, beat him. he beat him. Now, I've seen that clip many a time. And that was like often shown kind of like, can you believe what they used to show in wrestling back in the day? Mm-hmm. Look how bad this is aged. You would have thought that on the network, it'd be like, yep. by the way, folks. Yep. This episode's got some pretty fucking alarming language. They, they do it sometimes on the pay-per-views. Yep. They'll, they'll have that little screen up saying these are presented as they were. Yes, yep. in, for context. Yeah. Guys, just for context, this show will contain a match where Shawn Michaels and Triple H pay tribute to Chris Benoit by using the Crippler crossface. Don't read up too much into it. It was just the style of the time. Like. That's it. Like They're more than happy to edit out certain Benoit things. They'll happily edit out footage of Undertaker having injections into his kneecaps. But on the network, this is completely uncensored, not bleeped, not nothing, with no warning that it's going to happen. I was watching that episode of Raw with my partner Alice in the room, and when I saw that promo happen, I was like, oh shit, that's now? And before I had time to react, it happened, and she heard it and everything, I was like, I felt sure it would at least be bleeped. Now I've got to explain why this pig said that Uh, word. I mean, I would just, you know, there's a lot of people who get the network and they like to watch through and all that and watch through Raw. And don't get me wrong, Raw is a a wild show and particularly the 97 Raw is really, really, really good. Don't get me wrong. But I think when you owe it to yourself, when stuff has aged and it's no longer in this context Mm. where... I would be struggling to think that this was socially acceptable even back then. Yeah. Because there was a, whoa, he fucking said it, yeah. There was that kind, kind of, of like a, a, a Clarkson yeah. reaction. Exactly. Like, but when, exactly. when Clarkson says something. And you know what? It's fucking ridiculous as well when like Vince McMahon and JR barely apologized for us. But right. what they were told at the time, and this was it, like, 
they were told the restraints are off. You're a heel. You know how to get heat. You say, you do whatever it is. And Jerry Lawler was like, fine. Did that that Jer- that was Jerry's promo. That was yeah, it. That yeah. wasn't Russo. No, no, that was that was Russo never saying you know how to do it. You yeah. go and what the the logic was, and it was the same with the when they got in trouble for Bret Hart saying it was bullshit and pushing Vince McMahon down before WrestleMania. It's the same old thing. You can ask for forgiveness and you don't have to ask for permission. That's just the way they did things then. They know full well because they can get away with it. So they do whatever they want. There's something about King around here that's just a little bit... mm, Mm. He's so evil. And also he's not even discovered puppies yet. No! No. This is is pre-puppies. He's not completely sex-crazed at this point in time. He's just evil. He's a busy boy at the moment, Jerry Lawler, as well, because in addition to taking it to the absolutely 100% definitely straight gold dust just in case anyone's wondering he's he's yeah. all I mean, that's what I hate about it as well this is after they went out of the way to make sure you know that he's definitely not gay I know but I know he, he gets it man it's, uh. <laughs> but as well as this Jerry Lawler is also involved in his feud with ECW still still mm. yes and the night before this at Wrestlepalooza he showed up at the ECW arena to hit Tommy Dreamer in the willy with a kendo stick and to say that the bingo hall ought to be built out of toilet paper because there's nothing in it but shit. <laughs> and to get over his feud about how much he really hates ECW. Oh, I hate ECW so much. Extremely crappy wrestling. My God, it's the worst thing ever. I'm going to showcase one of the young up-and-coming superstars. Rob Van Dam is one of the, the real great beacons of ECW, which I hate. She's in love with RVD. So yeah, he's got to explain the RVD relationship, Adam. King hates ECW so much, but the one thing he likes is Rob Van Dam, so he's going to nick him. And he has. He's nicked Rob Van Dam from ECW, and he's going to bring him over and prove why he's Mr. Monday Night and make him the best thing on Raw. Why he's doing this? I haven't a fucking clue. Why does he give a shit? Like, why are you trying to boost this guy's career? What the fuck? This ECW stuff is going on and on. It's yeah. next pay-per-view as well. More and more and more. We've had Sandman running in on Raw. Yeah. You know, you've got fucking Chris Candido wrestling on yeah. Raw. It's Jerry Lawler talking about ECW constantly. Heyman in the crowd. Heyman and Lawler brawling outside the ring. And it's all... None of it has paid off here. No. Nope. It's all for ECW. Yeah. So, yeah, they're getting their value for money for, for ECW, I guess, at the moment. It's filling up a lot of TV time. It's a sweet fucking deal for those guys, honestly. WWF are hardly getting anything out of this relationship. And my favourite Jerry Lawler moment that's been happening as well is that Brian Christopher has been appearing. Mm. And he, he doesn't say that he's his son, that he's just his mentor. And he, Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler beat up a guy and they give him a spike pile driver. And then afterwards, Jerry Lawler goes, Yeah, baby, I'm back and I'm better than ever. And he like clenches his fists and, Yeah, you know what? We need to get this man some breasts. Just calm yeah, fucking yeah. down. Because I don't like this evil dark sided side. king. Yeah, Jesus. Black blood King Lawler. I don't like uh. it. So now that all that business is taken care of, Adam. Bring us through this semi-final matchup. We start off with a couple of promos. We get a little promo with Mick, though, here, where he's asking the crowd what kind of king he should be. There have been evil kings that have held their people down. There have been benevolent kings that have lifted their people up. And I think he's basically like... This is something you pointed out to me, Kevin, that with these interview segments they did on Raw, it was very carefully crafted in a way that it's not completely babyface. The the crowd could react either way after these promos, Mm. because... Yes, he's more sympathetic now, but also he still says some really deranged things. Yeah, at the end of those promos, he attacks JR. And he says that one of the things is because he's had such a hurtful, painful life, 
he wants to inflict pain on the beautiful people like Shawn Michaels who have had it easy. Does that make me a bad person that I want to see Shawn Michaels' life fall to pieces and suffer for the rest of his life? Well, don't like, worry, it's going to happen, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Mankind is like, his character's in this position now where he's kind of asking the fans, what do you want me to be? Like, yeah, because they, they were happy for him to remain being healed. Yeah. And he thinks later that he's too much Shades of Grey. I love this. I love it so much because the cra- like the first night he comes out after these promos, Billy, that have run with JR, the crowd started cheering a little bit. Yeah. And he looks like, where, where, where am I? Well, that's like? it. Yeah. It's not a hero's welcome or a big pop. It's just a few more We're cheers. excited to see him. And he looks so confused by it. like, And he doesn't know where Uncle Paul is either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He says it, this is going to be a big moment for him, but Uncle Paul's clearly got better things to be doing. I think the most 1997 thing I saw on tonight's show was a man with a sign that had his email address on it. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, regret that, bud. Yeah, seriously, GDPR regulations, please don't put your fucking email address <laughs> on it. We get a little promo with Jerry as well, getting interviewed by Todd. I couldn't tell you a single thing he says, but he does just crack a load of jokes and tries to roast a few people. And then what is cool is the camera follows him. He just grabs the mic off of Todd. Yeah. And he carries on walking out. He narrates himself down to the ring. Yeah, Look at him. He's a moron. <laughs> it actually, I, you know, it's it's cheesy, but I do kind of like it. It's, like, it's, fu- it's fun heel Yeah, stuff. and it totally fits him to be that sort of grown-worthy heel. Like Panto, all yeah. exactly. Okay, I yeah. love this. Uh, I like his own Vincent man was trying to get us all behind Mick Foley. He's like, well... Dude love lives in us all. Oh, dude. <laughs> Which I do on. not want that. Like, you no. know, you know, he's flying around inside your lower intestine, waving yeah. like. <laughs> it turns out dude love was the friends we made on the way. <laughs> JR refers to Jerry as the king of USWA. <laughs> oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> so we start off with a bit of a brawl outside the ring. Mick starts with nose pulling and eye raking of Jerry. So, you know, babyface or not, he still wrestles really dirty. And against Burger King chance as well as when Jerry mm. starts wrestling. Mick goes for a very early mandible claw and Jerry takes to the outside screaming, which is lovely. Like, yeah. any, any Jerry match is great because he's always going to be like, and running away from the other guy. This whole match is very, very Memphis. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And no more is that evidence than when, like, twice in a row, quite early into the match, Jerry pulls out what I think is nooks, but may well be nothing, I think. Yeah, yeah it's probably just a bunch of, like, when Owen Hart used to use the napkins. Exactly. Like. <laughs> He's so good at the panto and doing it sneakily. Like, he just reaches in, pulls it there out. There could be nothing in his hand at all. Exactly, but he does it in a way where everyone knows that he's meant to be holding something. And it's just a small movement, but it's, like... He knows how to do these things so that everyone can understand. It's it's so it's so weird. Like whenever we have a Lawler match, because we like every time we have a Lawler match, we're always like we always pre- preface it with five minutes of him being a dickhead. Yeah. But then as soon as we talk talking about Jerry in the room, we're like we love Jerry. Yeah. So well, that's the the thing. It's like, so you know, it's so difficult with Lawler. You hear people always saying like if you want to like look at proper heels, like Jerry Lawler is like the top heel. You need to look just yeah. to look at his work to understand how heels work. But I, I I totally agree. He's a master, and he's a master babyface as well. The yeah. way he's slightly different, mm-hmm. the way he works as a heel, as a babyface, even though the moveset is pretty much the same. It's just his his way he looks at the crowd the and stuff like that. His yeah. mannerisms. But I think that prefacing is needed because yeah. if you were a young wrestler and you were like, hey, I'm fucking 19 or 20, I want to check out some old stuff. Yeah, it might be a bit shocking when you go back and yeah. you're saying shit like that. It, mm-hmm. it, it's probably worth... That's why maybe it might be not a bad idea for WWE that you might preface some of this archive footage 
Because just saying, oh, it was done in the context of the time. I don't think anyone's necessarily going to go, ah, 1997, so it's fair game then if I'm gay that yeah. I'm going to be insulted. Is it? Yeah. Like, because what? Was it illegal to be gay in 1987? The style at the time was just to insult gay people. Yeah. Folks. Like, wasn't that long ago. Like. No, it's not really. So Lawler then takes charge of the match and his punches are so fucking good. Like, Best in the business. Basic stuff. He does so well. He starts biting Mick's bad ear as well. Yeah. And then the crowd, like you say, they start chanting Burger King. And his reaction is just like spot on that exact amount of... <laughs> oh, fucking hell. If Jerry Lawler bit you, you want to get a tetanus shot. Yeah. He's <laughs> got a mouth like a rusty rabid nail. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> that orange froth of the mouth. <laughs> oh, I love when he threw him to the outside. He's like, one, two, three, four, yes. five, six, seven... <laughs> the referee's on like four or something. <laughs> More brawling outside, and King throws Mick backwards head first into the iron railing, yeah. which is so unnecessary and hideous, which will be the theme of Mick's matches tonight. Yep. Pile driver outside the ring on the mats, which looks absolutely fucking disgusting. And then Jerry busts out an incredible drop kick, which, <laughs> tell you the truth, I had no idea he could do. Like, this yeah. lovely snap drop kick. Yeah, it was fucking wonderful. Like. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Yeah. Even though I'm sure I've seen it before, which tells you something. It's that he's done it before, but he's he still, you have the image of him not being able to do it so much. It just, it grows over that part of the brain. It's Kane going for the top rope clothesline is what it exactly. is. You're always like, no, come on. Like, oh shit, of course. Yeah, he does that. Or like when Big Show's set up for the final cut, you're like, no, <laughs> no way. No way is the big man going to pull this stuff. <laughs> He'll get arrested. They can't do that. He's like. going to take the man's bloody head off. <laughs> you see him snap from one side to the next. <laughs> Fucking final cut. <laughs> That's the worst shit. Back in the ring, Jerry hits him with another pile driver, which Mick kicks out of. Like, if the if anyone kicks out of two pile drivers, that's immediately like, yeah. okay, you're a cut above the rest. Yeah. Like, uh, you notice that he's doing little things like he does the bang bang as well a bit. Yeah. Yes. I like that. There's been little bits like that and JR is like such a mark for it as well. Like, oh, we're doing the bang bang bear like the Cactus Jack used to do back when he was in Japan overseas. Like, JR is so enthusiastic about this storyline because it's, his opportunity to talk about like other wrestling companies and yes. history and stuff. He, well, like, he would have been there for his original run in WCW. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's a little bit easier when he can talk about Cactus Jack being in, in Japan, though. Like earlier when he's like Triple H, where he's like, Triple H, who takes a lot of the styles of some of the veterans many years older who are working in other organizations. Just say Ric Flair. Yeah, come come on. Just yeah. say, say it. it. Like, you know. JR speculates at this point that Mick must have either a neck sprain or a jam neck. <laughs> jam neck. Yeah. yeah. I know Mick's got the jam, but a jam neck sounds like a terrible situation. Wait, like. so he got all jacked up and as a result he's got a jam neck? He's got a jam neck now, Unbelievable. Yeah. You get a diving fist drop from Jerry the King Lawler and he goes for a third pile driver, which Mick flips it over into like a sunset flip kind of position. Oh, this is like the new setup for the mandible car. And yeah, yeah he, he'll do this on Raw a couple of times as well, where like now Jerry is on the floor with his face looking up at Mick and Mick's just stood over him and he's like, uh, all right then, and well, jam it straight in there. The pop for it. Yeah, yeah, people like straight away they can t well because I think Mandible Claw at this point is like if he gets that in you're out like as silly as Mankind is and as kind of all over the place as his character is I think at this point in time 
the mandible claw is like it's one, one of, of the most protected moves. Definitely. That and, the sharp, that and the sharpshooter. Yeah. But it's not like it's like, well, the sharpshooter is like, oh, it's so painful. And then you go out and you'll have to tap. The mandible claw is like, you'll be gurgling until your eyes roll back yeah. in your head and you go to sleep. You're not going to tap. Like, You're, it's good. The match is going to be cancelled. Yeah. How weird is it to see the straight up mandible claw get a massive baby face reaction? With no sock. With no sock <laughs> yeah. on it. Because yeah. when we started in 98, it was when he was a bit healed. He'd gone back and forth a lot. So the mandible claw got kind of low-level heel groans. Yes. But then we started doing soccer. It was like, way! But here, it's like, wow, straight up mandible claw. People love it. The big reel back and then yeah. he sticks it in. The best thing about it as well is that the next night on Raw, yes. Jerry Lawler had a sore throat and he made out it was because of the mandible claw. Oh, so he's like, Jerry <laughs> incredible it was fabulous it was the best thing ever and the best thing about it is of course we get to hear mix happy music as well to play Yay! us out the Laura Palmer theme again yeah fucking lovely and of course Jim Ross disrespects the Humpty Dumpty rhyme by getting it wrong all the king's men and all the king's women won't put Jerry Lawler he's done he's <laughs> mate king's horses king's men Jerry Lawler's fucking Humpty Dumpty. I'm just saying, right? Just call him a big egg, yeah? <laughs> That's what I want. Did you see that great picture of W.C. Fields as, as yes, Humpty I Dumpty? Yes, I did. Yeah. horrifying. Now, imagine seeing that and Jerry Lawler's going... Uh, that, that's my new Jerry Lawler image in my head. You should Google that at home. <laughs> Woo, slam the brakes on just for a second here, folks, before we go any further. I forgot to talk about the magazine covers. The bloody magazine cover. It's only the bloody magazine Ooh. covers. Now, one of the issues we've had with these magazine covers is... You've uh, had some issues with the issues? We've had issues with these issues. Uh, if you've ever bought a magazine, you'll probably be aware of this. It's like, oh, this is May. I'm going to go buy a magazine. Why does it say June on the front? That doesn't make any sense. Wait, are you talking about like, the issue that you have that when you get your magazine and Newsy's taking your... Well, my free yo-yo's Your, not there, your yeah. double top, like, yeah, you're my... Where's my snap piece of paper that goes snap? Where's like... my little rubber Jar Jar Binks head that you squeeze it and the tongue comes flying out of it? That actually came free with the vino once. But... Oh, yeah! Yeah, everyone had one. Oi, Newsy, where's it at, like... <laughs> So where news agents is hoarding all these jewels and trinkets. It'd be, it'd be like getting a Kerrang and you didn't have your poster of Baghead in it. <laughs> <laughs> God, I used to have so many Kerrang posters, it's embarrassing. <laughs> but we had correspondence from a fan who pointed out that apparently the date on the front of the magazine is to tell the newsy when to take them off the shelves and stop selling so them. So that's, that's a soft oi newsy. Yeah, yeah. it's like, hey newsy, just remember... When June comes around, you want to take these off the shelf. Yeah, okay. So King of the Rings in June, which means we need to look at the July 97 covers. Oh, because it's in June, so we should look at July. Are you following at home? Does that yeah. mean? And all, the, and all the young kids who are like, magazines, what? What's that? Why is it wrong with time? Shh, don't worry, it's all right, like. So WWF magazine on the front cover there, just a little picture of Animal and Hawk going, Bleh. and it says, what a rush. It's doomsday for the tag team ranks as Animal and Hawk make their triumphant return. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and over on WWF Raw. Well, that's for the mature fan. For the mature fan. We have the truth behind the heart reunion. Was it a scam from the start? <laughs> so it's an expose. Like. It's a, a scam. I think they're confusing that with the jam that the Heart Foundation collectively <laughs> had. You know? And in the top right corner, exclusive photos. The secret rendezvous between Sonny and Brian Fuller. Oh, come on. Now this salacious bullshit they do this on Raw where they're like playing Sonny's music like I know you want me yeah. and they're showing Sonny on a tide tron they're like well folks what you didn't know was that after the filters were taken down and the swimsuits had been put away 
that Sonny on the same beach had a secret meeting with the loose cannon, Brian Pillman. Ooh! And we took pictures of it and yeah. made it know. Now, one thing, straight up admitting to voyeurism. Yeah. I don't want to, don't tell me that. No. Nope. Also as well, they're making it this is like a hot, sexy thing. You pointed it to me, Adam. Adding the loose cannon Brian yep. Pillman. Yeah. That's a bit of a... <laughs> what, is he praying he's going to meet Sonny on the beach or something? <laughs> I, I'm, no, I'm not a fan of that at all. No, I don't know why they decided to pair these two up together. Fucking hell. So, yeah. Smiling Brian there, folks. And Smiling Brian is backstage with Tom Pettengale. So unhinged. Yeah. Big unhinged Brian here. Really scary. <laughs> is it just that he's like got that vibrating smile? What is it that's so unsettling about Brian Pillman that works? What is what has he got that so many in inverted commas wild man crazy guy characters never seem to have? Faith, I think. I think the fact that he believes in the good Lord above makes him a little bit more scary. Like, <laughs> he thinks he's just in all of this. Yeah. Because he, he's not having a good time at the moment at all. Mm. He's miserable as Brian Pillman. Do you know what the deal is with his ankle? Why he's not wrestling? He's meant to be wrestling Austin here and they've had to pull it off. He's fused, isn't he? He had a car accident or a motorbike accident. Yeah, so he flipped a Humvee. He survived it. Ankle had to be fused. You Can't know do any flying anymore. Can't do that. Now, I don't know about you. I, I was chatting the other day with some folks about this. If I couldn't wiggle my ankle around and move that, you know, the full rotation, fucking hell, like, yet alone wrestling. Yeah. That, it's, it's like having a cast on your ankle for the rest of your life. Like, even though there's not a cast there, you can't move it. It's just completely solid. I mean, like, at least with neck fusion, I understand that's obviously got to be whole fucking, like, Austin had neck fusion as did Edge, you know, it's, it's a real fucking scary thing. And obviously not being able to move your neck in the same way. Mm. But I know there's, there's a lot of, therapy you can have to kind of adjust your body moving yeah it's, it's not like you're straight up batman where you have to like turn your entire torso yeah. or anything but fucking like... hell if you're the flying brian pillman and you cannot even remotely roll your ankle at all i love to give that a good click in the morning yep. like you know that mm. nice magnum seven deadly yeah. sins click yeah. in the ankle you know <laughs> bite into it baby so the fact that brian is going through this and he's miserable he, he's meant to be doing the commentary on shotgun saturday nights and JR, it was like, he spoke about he really wanted Brian to be like the next Jesse Ventura or Bobby Heenan, like the next heel commentator. Because Lawler wasn't married to that role. Yeah. Lawler would have yeah. preferred to wrestle. And Brian can't wrestle. He can bring value here. He didn't want to do it. Didn't want, he thought it was beneath him. He thought that he wasn't, you know, a proper man or he wasn't fulfilling his potential. He, he wasn't ready to say, no, I can't do it yet. Yeah. It's so sad. That's such a pity because honestly, like I've seen some matches of flying Brian Pillman, and he was good. He was really like he was a good wrestler, but his mic work is by far the yeah. best thing about him. And that's saying something, seeing as he's an innovator. Like yes. he's yeah. one of you know the original guys who brought a junior heavyweight style to America. And you saying about like oh it's shit that you know we can't get him wrestling here or anything, but honestly he's one of the best parts of the heart foundation just as a guy on the mic like yeah. you don't need to see him wrestling and he's, he's that much of a professional as well you can't tell he's unhappy no yeah. not at yeah. all you no. wouldn't know that anything's That's up it, right because I, I know in his personal life as well as well at this time his marriage is falling apart right because he's at like time, yeah he's, he's self-medicating he, you know there's a he's taken at this point he's taking painkillers that he's not prescribed and you can imagine if he's had a fused ankle and he's resting he's probably been prescribed some fairly strong stuff yeah. he's he's drinking a lot and 
it's just it, he's he's fucking shredded as well. I mean, if you look at him, for yeah. a man who can move his ankle, yeah, he's got a fucking it's a lot tor- of weight on that ankle. Yeah, he's he's more jacked than he's ever been in his career, and he was always quite a you know muscular guy. I just sad because it kind of feels like him doggedly pursuing an in ring career. Mm. And um, I guess being with the Heart Foundation, that's got to fucking suck because you're in there with some fucking studs, you know, yeah. Owen and Davy and Brett who are all like wrestling, 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 and you're the one who can't do it. But yeah, I know it's a shame that he saw it that way because honestly, I think, yeah, as great a wrestlers as they are and as great on the mic as Brett and Owen are, every time Brian's part of the mix, he steals the show for me. He's the one, even when Brett stood there talking, I can't take yeah. my eyes off I, I'm Brian. watching Pillman, yeah. He's yeah. in the background laughing and giving him the eyes and whatnot. He's like magic. And it's so sad to me that he didn't, he wasn't happy just taking a role as a manager or a stooge. What can you do something. though? That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, JR was talent relations. And if he's literally saying, you and I are going to commentate together yeah. and we're grooming you. And if even you can't see that and kind of go, well, your body isn't working for you you can't kind of make the decision yourself no i just it it happens in wrestling he's got the bug he's he's addicted to fucking wrestling first and foremost and if he's not in there getting a reaction from a crowd for wrestling it's not as good for him i i hate that it's so sad so yes uh, it also fishy to point out at this point he is not technically a member of the heart foundation yeah, they, they have said this. They keep specifying on commentary, like going out of their way to point out that he is, you know, associated with the Heart Foundation. Yeah. He's one of their mates, but he's not a member of the Heart Foundation. Basically, what you're telling me, Adam, is it's like when Taz was uh, kind of a loose affiliation with the main event mafia, <laughs> vis-a-vis Samoa Joe, uh, but, you know, more of like a, a loose affiliation. You, you know what you're doing here. So I can uh, I can commentate with Mike Tenay. <laughs> You're getting their hopes up, Kevin. What? There's people out there that are going to hear that and start salivating, thinking, oh, TNA. TN Black A. TNAE podcast. TNAE? Oh my God. Stop teasing them like that. Stop coming up with branding. Hey, wait till Fortune get a load of this one, guys. Throw up your fortune signs. Let me see them. Because you know, if we say anything positive about it on their platform, they're going to ring us up and we're going to end up fucking commentating for them. Lads, actually, we're I, doing them a favour by doing this. I've just got, we're uh, going to be yeah. on Twitch, fucking narrating over it. Like, I just, got, I just got a DM here. This is technically the main event of Slammiversary right now. So uh, <laughs> you got to, got to put Adam over. Okay, I'm going to get the belt on him. So Brian Pillman says that tonight he was going to violate that rat's ass, Steve Austin. Yeah, <laughs> fine choice of words. So yeah, Austin and Pillman, they don't have their match here. It's going to happen. On Raw. For definite. It doesn't happen on Raw. It's, in nope. Pil- it's, it's Pillman and, and Mankind instead. But then after that... We'll definitely have it then. When Austin and Pillman do finally lock up, it's a bloody affair. Mm. He fucking smears his nose all over his yeah. face. Is, is, if, that, is that TV or is that pay-per-view? It's TV, okay. yeah. Which is sad because Pillman wrestles quite a bit between now and the next show. And he wrestles a lot. And every single time it's gimmicks and him really trying to overcompensate for the fact that he can't wrestle. Yeah. It's really kind of... It's hard. So yeah, Pillman's being interviewed here, and then he gets uh, interrupted by Steve Austin, who promptly destroys him. Yeah, not just interrupted by Steve Austin, Kevin. Pillman's talking into the camera with that big <laughs> look on his face, and then literally <laughs> from the bottom of the camera upwards in the background, Steve just goes and appears, <laughs> and then he gets that little smile on his face, like, "Well, goddamn, son, it's Brian Pillman," <laughs> and then he batters the fuck out of him. It's brilliant. Gives him a swirly. Yeah, with the. Uh, the separate swirly cam. Yeah. You see that, Billy? 
We go in the stalls yes, to give them yeah. a swirly, and then a hard cut to a camera that is set up. Which either means that we're straight up just like, oh, we don't care about kayfabe, so we're just going to not pretend. Or it means that there is someone putting cameras in toilets backstage. Well, we, we had the same with uh, Edge and Christian. Yeah. Um, throwing up, we had the vom cam. Exactly, yeah. I wonder if it's the same, if it's the same arena. And if no. so, don't go to the toilet there because it's going to fill you. <laughs> it's, it's just the, the, the little... Um, Little symbolism of a uh, GTV. Yeah, a little, little bit. Still start a GTV. Yeah. Sean stays there just like seeing people poop and getting sick. Oh, what, oh. what can he say? Like? He'd be recording it, not, not filming it. Like. <laughs> Coming up next, because Crush is taking on Goldust. No idea. I don't give a fuck. I do not know why this is happening. Of all the members of the Nation of Domination... I don't know if I wanted to see Crush in action here yeah. tonight, folks. He was Dilo already. Yeah, he's, he's, he's named now, officially. Oh. Mm-hmm. He's officially named, and he's had a match on Raw as well. Mm. And he's told Vince McMahon to shut up! Oh. Uh, that's that's uh, big news for Dilo Brown, because he was a man without a name. Notice anything different in the lineup here, folks, with uh, Nation of Domination? Well, PG-13 have gone, but they've been gone for a little while now. Yeah, right? well, we had them on last pay-per-view, but yeah, they're, they're gone here. Mm. Uh, they've been written out of the Nation of Domination. Uh, what they did was they had the Legion of Doom went to take on the Nation. Everyone came out, PG-13 rapping along with them. And then Fruit was like, you guys wrestle. And they're like, well, we only rap. Like, Get in there and wrestle. Like, okay. And then they had like a comedy match where like they couldn't, like the, the Legion of Doom no sold everything yeah, they did. And they killed them. And they gave the Doomsday device, they double teamed the fuck out of them, and the nation abandoned them, and PG-13 were just left for dead. So no excuse given, just, you couldn't beat the Legion of Doom without our help, so you don't deserve to be in the nation. There's a lot of squabbling going on with Savio yeah. and Crush and Farouk, yes. like we saw last month with the three-on-one with Ahmed. But yeah, PG-13, they're done now. I'm just gone, yeah. Yeah, back to Memphis. Mm-hmm. I think they were rubbing people the wrong way. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever had the joy of watching uh, the JC Ice shoot interviews or Why the... Why the fuck would I have watched yeah. that? I don't care what he has to say. It's a hard watch, folks. Mm. These guys had a bit of an attitude, apparently. They got into wrestling crazy young. I believe one of them is the son of like a very famous Memphis wrestler. He was like a tippity-top guy like from before Lawler's Day. And he got into wrestling when he was like fucking 13 or 14 type of thing. Right. So even though they're in their early 20s, they've been wrestling for like 10 years and they've been on top in Memphis. So I think they reckoned that they were kind of a bit more secure in their placement yeah, than they were. Yeah. So they're shown the door. Fair enough. I will miss PG-13. I liked having the rap element to my entrance with NOD. I'll miss them, but it won't be long until we get too cool. And obviously they've got exactly the same gimmick. Yeah. So we won't miss them for too much longer at least. Yeah. So... Crush and Goldust, which is good. We get some half-hearted explanations as to why Crush is in the Nation of Domination to begin with. Nothing really much good. No one cares. Yeah. Goldust's makeup sucks as well, by the way. His face paint's different tonight. I don't like it. I don't like Goldust as a face here. No, because the way he's been talking on the mic lately, and we'll get this a lot next month as well before Canadian Stampede, he's just straight up, I'm Dustin Rhodes now. I might look like Goldust, but hey folks, thanks for being great fans. I want you to see my wife yeah. and daughter. Like, like, there's something about him coming out and high-fiving him and do He's high-fiving. With the weird frame rate and everything. It's so weird. Whose fault is that? Is that the back? Is that Dustin? He just doesn't know what he wants to be. It's them. They want him to be face and i think they thought with the it was him talking about his dad and you know his kid and his wife jr was very high on the real life family 
vibe. Mm. And he thought that you got a real life family man there with his, with his woman who he loves and his kid who he loves and his dad doesn't even speak to him anymore because he went out with this woman, but look how much they love each other. It, it's meant to show... I In earnest, I think I see what they're doing here. But you can't be... Do, this is one thing where you got Jim Ross thinking, this is a great idea. This is real real character building. Nice family man here. But at the same time, Vince Russo is right in the fucking gang yeah. war smile yeah. time variety hour. The crowd is not going to react to this that, and also be like, yay, race baiting. Yeah, there's certain wrestlers you don't want to know about their life outside of the ring. Goldust is one of them. Like one, one the mystery's keep, gone a bit now. Yeah, yeah, one one that we keep seeing recently in in 2019 is Braun Strowman. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we're we're seeing far too much of Braun Strowman's life. You want to think you want to just think of him as being a mysterious figure. Yeah, I don't want it to see him shaking hands with George Bush, <laughs> like he recently put on Instagram and stuff. And yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't want to see that in certain wrestlers. With certain wrestlers, that's great. That works. But there's certain types of characters: Strowman, Goldust. You know, you know, a couple others like yeah, yeah. It, it would be like you know uh, the boogeyman. Yeah, yeah if, we, if we saw the boogeyman, just like here, my wife and kid, like and then here's me eating worms. Like you see, I don't mind it so much because like when he did that interview, yeah, it was sat down, it was stripped back, and he was Dustin Runnels and everything. And I, I get like you say what they're trying to do with that, and I understand it. I think it's fine. It's just they should keep that to that interview with Jr. Yeah. and leave it as it is. But now you've got him in full makeup as Gold Dust, the the bizarre one. In the ring, just doing these regular ass baby face. He's Justin Rose, dressed up as ghosts. And And yeah, there's no point to it. As endearing as the family man is, Mm. Goldust as a character is one of the most intriguing, complex. We never, never, ever, ever went anywhere where we could have. Like that, that's one of the characters. As good as it was, never went as far as you could have went. No. They never knew what they had with it. He didn't know. The writers didn't know. The time it came along at as well. They, you know, that's a character that's unlimited potential still. Even now, I mm-hmm. think the Goldust character. And yeah, we are, he's just smiling, Dustin Rose. I think yeah. they sacrificed that character, the really intriguing, mysterious character. To give us the family man. Yeah. Because I mean, they want another baby face, basically. Well, like, like, people were booing Ricky Steamboat for coming out with his wife and kid in the 80s. It's 10 years later, folks, mm-hmm. you know? And this is the crowd that's cheering him being called an F word. Yeah. So maybe they're less clean about the family man and they want to see a bit of Stone Cold Steve Austin or whatever. JR with some nice commentary about Brian Pillman backstage. Pillman is suicidal. Maybe even maniacal. What the fuck? Okay. Suicidal, is he? Suicidal. Maybe even maniacal. Those things are like just two points on the same scale, yeah. baby. The verbiage at the moment. Like the, the, way, the way that you say that, when when you look at that as a phrase, is the second thing should always be yes. worse, worse than the first. Yes. Right, you know? <laughs> Oh, man, if he carries on being suicidal like this for much longer, I mean, he's going to be maniacal. I mean, he, he's suicidal one minute, broadcasting the next. <laughs> <laughs> you got the really weird one on Raw when Austin was out like one week, and he was like, uh, Steve, we understand that you're dealing with some nagging injuries at the moment. Like, oh, hell yeah, son. I'm on antihistamines, anti-inflammatories, antidepressants. If I got anti in front of it, I'm on it. Like, what the fuck? Antihistamines, antidepressants? You all right? Like, what's going on, <laughs> yeah, Steve? Like, he's really sad and he can't stop sneezing. Like. It's also a week where Austin missed. And it's like, and Steve Austin, you're missing out here for a week. Oh, goddamn, son. My brother Kevin got run over by a horse. <laughs> And that's why Austin's gone for a week. And he's, and he's like, I don't much care about his well-being. The dude owes me 30 bucks and I'd like to get it back. 
but that goddamn got a horse ran all over him. I got a fixin' to get my horse so it's out. Great. It's like proto podcast Steve because he's just doing yeah. the comedy. He's like he's live via phone call and he's going like, Hell, I got problems of my own too. My wife's chucking me the damn wrong beer. I'm on a diet, goddammit. Haven't we already had someone this season fall off a horse? I think that might have been uh, one of the alleged reasons why uh, why Sid decided not to show up, was it? I'm or, sure we I'm we sure talk- this season already we've had someone Falling off a horse. I'm Have not sure. Way. I'm pretty sure. It wasn't the Terry Funk, my horse is sick type of thing, was it? Oh, it might have been that. It yeah. Been te- yeah, it might have been Terry Funk. I think that we're getting that because you're te- taping back-to-back Raws, so people don't show up one week. Yeah. So we have to pretend that his brother can run over <laughs> by a horse. Also, the character of Kevin Austin. Yeah. I want to meet Kevin Austin. I want to meet Kevin Austin. Ask him about that time he was on antihistamines to get run over by a horse. <laughs> like... So, yeah, you can tell that it's a crush match because we're talking about everything else but the crush match itself. Folks, do you like rest holes? Mm. Do you like facial Mm. tattoos and Mm. descriptions of said facial tattoos? It's Hawaiian for war. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, Crush does a lot of rest holes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what? I like how he looks, Crush. He's got a good look. Yeah. Not amazing, but it's cool. I can see why a young Mark Calloway might be like, huh. Maybe if I soak this and chew, this will be a perfect outfit for me a few years down the line. I mean, Crush for me reminds me so much of Curtis Hughes. Not physically. No, no. But just a billion dollar look. Yeah. yeah. To the extent that if he's there with his arms folded in the corner of another wrestler, mm-hmm. put him on my screen, mm. but he should not be in the ring there. Because no. every second he's in the ring is taking away from much needed scowling arms folded time. Yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. With no story, I can see why you want to put these two young studs together in the ring. It's so fucking boring. It's so boring. I completely tuned out for this one. Like. The transition from the nerve hold into the camel clutch. Mm. And this is great as well. During this really depressingly shit match, really boring, the highlight of which is them going, Gorilla Monsoon is under the weather at the moment and he won't be here. So he's standing by the phone. And you just know, it's like, oh, Gorilla's getting unwell now. We're not going to see him again anymore. Nice. I have to watch this fucking match as well and hear this. Thanks for waiting until the, uh, the, the, the bit of downtime to tell us that our beloved father figure, Honestly, yeah. Gorilla Monsoon, is under the weather. Like JR keeps saying, if you will. What? If you will. All right. Because that was a bionic elbow. If you will. What, Dusty Rhodes? We got your boy. He's doing your moves, if you will. Look me in the eye, Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> is that what that is? It That's is. purely a Dusty Rhodes. It's a Dusty thing. If you will. All right. What's the matter, Dusty Rhodes? Ain't you going to come look me in the eye? <laughs> Fuck. I got your boy here. Paying real good, if you will. <laughs> it's just, he, every single time, like, who is this weird gold man? And why do you keep saying, if you will? <laughs> Calm down. Another rest hold. Hooray. Hey. Savio Vega, where are you? Yeah, what's going on? It's King of the Ring. Aren't you due to wrestle nine times tonight? <laughs> D'Lo and Clarence Mason, sinister as they are, a corner Marlena. Yeah, I don't like that. What were they even going to do? I don't know. It looked like there was kids that were helping the NOD. Though. They were like, look out. He's coming to get you, Clarence Mason. He's behind then, you. No, the, ki- then the kids were saying um, he's behind you to Goldust. Oh. Yeah. The kids were very on, much on Goldust's side. They're, they're saying he's behind you about Crush. Yeah. Ah. To Goldust. Ever since I saw that little white boy who did the Nation of Domination yeah. <laughs> I just worried there's sleeper cells all around us, Billy. <laughs> like, anyone can be a member of the nation. 
Is it a DDT by Goldust? It's something fairly innocuous. It's yeah. like... The finish is basically Crush ain't taking the curtain call. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, I'm not going to do that, brother. Give me a DDT. Said the fans home unhappy, why don't you? It's fucking crap. That's how the match ends. That was it. That was one of the... I think that might be the worst match since we started this season. Yeah, I think so. That's probably... It's up there is one of the worst Yeah, definitely up four. there. And it takes a special someone because Goldust is a very good wrestler. Very yeah. capable, yeah. You have to be special bad to bring him down with you. Yeah. At the end of the match as well, we get some of the NOD, like, just more bickering and arguing and infighting. And Clarence Mason is there trying to break it up. All subtlety is out the window at this point. Like you say, they're, they're going heavy with the race stuff. With Farouk. Yep. you got JR here going, Clarence Mason trying to play Johnny Cochran here. Like, just straight up yeah. telling you now. Oh, what, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to get another black man off, off free? Is that what you're going to do, Clarence Mason? What, what did you think about that piece of business, JR? I'm not really sure what, you, what, your, what your inclinations here are. Hmm, maybe he's got some thoughts and feelings. All I can tell you is that when Sherry, I did a Sherry episode, so Sherry Martel... Mm. I don't know you guys are familiar much with Sensational oh, Sherry. Yeah, yeah. Fucking love Sherry. Did an episode about her for How To Wrestling recently. Got to do loads of research, found out all sorts about her. Sherry was originally, when she went to WCW, they were going to pair her with Farouk. Okay. Because she originally got put with Ric Flair. And then after that, she was with Harlem Heat. She was mm. Sister Sherry for a while. But she was like, they're going to put me with Ron Simmons. And I was like, why are you going to put me with Ron Simmons? For? And they go, well, we're going to do a whole thing where it's you and you're with Ron. And it's going to be like the OJ thing. Oh, dear. <gasps> and I was like, what? Is he going to like Murder. kill her? Yeah. Like, is that Allegedly. What? Allegedly. <laughs> Let's throw that in. <laughs> he's got Twitter now. You never he's know. Twitter. I think he's on a funny Snapchat about it. We yeah. can find that out now. <laughs> that he's, now that he's online, OJ. <laughs> Just the fact that she said that. And then, of course, you know, crack team and RFP. You're like, oh, okay. So what else happened then? Like you know, wow, good investment. You're gonna fucking <laughs> yeah. pull on that thread a little bit. They couldn't help themselves at this point in time, folks. More on the uh, the race stuff later on with Farouk. <laughs> oh God! Wow, man! Backstage, Doc Hendricks with Legion of Doom and Psycho Sids. This is gonna be comprehensible. Yeah. Oh boy. Thanks a lot, guys. You know, tonight your opponents, the Hart Foundation, are a very close-knit unit. And the best I know, this is the first time ever the three of you have ever been in a tag team together. But I would imagine there's a lot of revenge factor for the Hart Foundation as far as the Legion of Doom is concerned. Well, revenge is a dish best served cold. And by diddly-doo squat, we're serving the coldest dish in town. You know, you talk about a tight-knit unit. Every fan of the World Wrestling Federation knows there's not a tighter tag team than the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. The one you gotta worry about is you. Are you gonna be there for a tag? Listen, you don't worry about me because when it comes to me, brother, I am the man and the ruler of the world. And I don't have to worry about the Heart Foundation because tonight, I think we all can agree on one thing. Tonight is gonna be the worst night for the Heart <laughs> well, bad diddly do squat. <laughs> Hawk Flanders over yeah. here. What the hell? This was a wild promo. Did you guys see when Sid was mouthing all the words of yeah. Hawk's promo? Yeah. What? He's, read, he's reading. He's reading along for when he gets to his bit. Well, you reckon there's like a guy holding the cards yeah. there and Sid's oh, just reading it. Oh, it was so bad. And then Animal Sid like, Are you ready to not be mad? I'm ready to not roll for your animal. 
Oh my god. I, I've christened this team the Legion of Sid. Nice. <laughs> There's, yeah, Sid's back as well here, folks. Yep. Here he is. Sid's back because Paul Barrow did the thing you do to make Sid return, which is you say, Master and Ruler of the World, once, yes. one time in the mirror, yeah. and then Sid appears going. Ring, 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 ring. Sid realizes he's not got softball this weekend, so yeah. he's here for King of the Ring. <laughs> so, allegedly. Sid had a lower lumbar problem, mm. which was why he wasn't at the last few shows. And now he's back. And he said that the reason I didn't ask for a rematch for the WWF Championship with you, Undertaker, is because I respect you too damn much. And there was probably a softball game there as well. Wasn't there? <laughs> uh, you know, it's bad that when on Raw, when Sid's coming out, JR's like, whoa! This guy can hit a softball, folks. Let me tell you. When you see the big man hit the long ball at the softball game around in West Memphis, Arkansas, he's head of talent relations. He knows what's going on here. Yeah. So Sid's gone again after tonight as well, folks, just so we know. Last appearance of Sid on the podcast. So there'll be no more Sid. He he does appear on Raw, but for pay-per-view, this is it. That's a shame then, because I'll say this now then. Sid's music might be in my top five favorite themes of all time now which bit is it the ring friend or the the, rin, ho- rin, the rin. whole thing when the beat comes in i love this theme can i give you guys a little bit of a deep cut here i think psycho sid is one of the wrestlers along with billy gunn who's never had a bad theme has he not have you heard his theme from wcw that I think Sid goes wherever he darn well pleases because he knows he's going to get the best entrance music wherever he goes you know the best of the best Sid never spent I think longer than 12 months in any company from like 94 to 2000 really think about that that's crazy from the new generation all the way through the attitude era he was in and out like a fucking revolving door was Sid travelling man and it's because he looked the way he did even though he's so much working against him you couldn't help but give six figures to Psycho Sid you can't say no to Swole Michael Rooker (laughs) (laughs) oh boy backstage Talk Pettengale, who's the twin brother from another mother, apparently. That's what uh, he says about Doc Hendricks. For goodness sake. Except uh, your twin brother has to make all the towns, though, doesn't he, Todd? You ever notice that? <laughs> you just have to show up for pay-per-views and you get your six. He has to show up to every week to get his. Six figures. Fucking 300 hell. grand, that's what I heard. 300 Jeez, grand for this guy. I know. After that fucking medley at the Slammies. I know. 300 grand. I know, to think about it, he's not on any of the Raws. That is, imagine if there was someone, because they work them broadcast colleagues to the fucking bone yeah. now. You say broadcast colleagues, you mean Doc Hendricks. On Raw, he is like always out of breath. Oh man, I think it's uh, Sonny, he's got a t-shirt now or something. Some shit, folks, I have not read the script. Well, sorry, Doc, you didn't sell all of the King of the Ring inflatable seats and you have to eat every one you didn't <laughs> sell. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on them, I love chairs. <laughs> Talk is back here now with the Heart Foundation. Bulldog says, we beat the L.O.D. fur and squirr. <laughs> uh, Owen says, the line of the night here. <laughs> Legion of Doom, coming out here with your beautiful, pretty makeup. 
<laughs> and it, you don't impress me with your pretty makeup, and you're gonna need something else other than your pretty makeup to impress me, Hawking Animal. We've got some serious gurning going on from Nightheart in the yeah. back. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's Nightheart's on something tonight, I think. Yeah. The sunglasses are there for a reason. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Jim the Anvil Nightheart, who uh, won a four hundred thousand dollar cash settlement from United Airlines when yes. they falsely accused him of attacking a stewardess. Vince McMahon sent Jerry McDevitt and the high-powered lawyer squad. They got Jim Neidhart off the hook. He got the cash settlement, bought himself a Kawasaki motorcycle, put the rest of that cash settlement in his fanny pack and drove around Reno, Nevada with his sunglasses with, on. Without a license as well. <laughs> yeah. He never got a license for the motorbike. Wait, and did what? Was he like throwing the money to the, the orphans or something? No, no, like... he literally had all of his money on him at all times in a fanny pack. Why? Because he didn't trust banks. It's either under the bed at home or mm. it's in the fanny pack I around mean, his waist at all times. If I looked like Amble, maybe I'd feel confident carrying that kind of car. Yeah, yeah. Was a fucking nutcase. Yeah. Don't forget, uh, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, also married to Ellie Hart, or the Scar of the Hearts. She's also known the most... Yeah, well, I mean, Scar was the heel in The Iron King. She's pretty much <laughs> evil in that. She's... I mean, I read Brett's book recently. Ellie Hart's not a nice person. No? To, to, uh, she's said and done some really fucking horrible shit. She's like literally politics. Brett's career against him like she, after Owen died she blamed it on Brett saying oh. because Brett was tied up about fucking Montreal you know every horrible thing she went to talk with fucking Vince and all them while the family were still trying to figure out and actually the case was still ongoing about the criminal aspect of Owen's death everything that could have happened you know that family will probably have to spend a whole episode talking about that when we get to Survivor Series yeah. but the chaos of Jim Neidhart Billy, you've been listening to some stuff about Jim recently. Yeah. Let me hit you with a fast night hard anecdote. You can hit us with one. My one is when uh, he was uh, <laughs> when he was still doing college football, and he decided to escape from his room during tryouts. Tie a. He's he's on the third floor. Third so floor. He's on the third floor of this building. And he decides he wants to escape out of the top, out of the floor that he's on, down lower. <laughs> to escape. Escape <laughs> from the tryouts by making. He's very drunk. Yeah, very drunk. And possibly other things yeah. involved as well. Makes himself a long rope out of bed sheeps. He abseils out. Tarzan swings in, smashes through the bottom story window into his coach's room. And he's like naked as well when he did it. <laughs> And he's holding a fire, he's got a fire extinguisher between his legs to ca cast some smoke out of his ass. I'm waiting to hear the punchline or the and the reason he did Discard this. Nuts. Okay. Yeah, no, Discard nuts. Discard nuts. There's, no, okay. there's there is no punchline. This is what that, that is why Jr. always goes. Discard. Look at him. He's nuts. <laughs> so have you got a fun night hard gag for um, us, Bill? Well, it's 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 not so much a, a fun one, but it was, it was, it was a couple <laughs> oh a couple of years before he died. He got arrested outside a CVS, which is like a, a pharmacy yeah. in the States. It's like Boots in America, isn't it? Yeah. And he got arrested because he was just drunk. Drunk and disorderly was the call that was made by the employee. Okay. When the police pulled up, he ran to the boot of his car and started putting things in his mouth. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so, like when Frazier and Niles had to eat all the caviar before the Russians it's, arrived. It's either going to be drugs or some sort of exotic pets like scorpions or something <laughs> trying to hide them. So like, as the police These are reptile eggs! <laughs> as, as the police approach, they see that he's got about 
20 prescription bottles. No! Not his prescriptions. Of course. He'd previously broken into a friend's house and stolen these prescriptions. Jesus. And as the police were trying to restrain him because he's so strong, he's breaking free so he can shove more <laughs> no! of these drugs in his mouth whilst the police are, are trying to hold him back. And every pill made him stronger and <laughs> yeah. bigger. There's <laughs> something about Neidhart that is like, you know, you hear about a lot of wild men in wrestling, but I can't think of anyone on any of our timelines, who yeah. comes close to this. The man is like a fucking chaos demon. He's, yeah. He is so on another plane of existence. The stories that people tell about, and the thing as well about him, is that everyone who's made with Jim Neidhart, when he's not off doing a fucking crazy adventure, mm. the nicest, loyalist, Nanny always spoke about how loving he was and doting as a father. Mm. Like, you know, we're not saying that he's a nasty guy. It's just that he had a real penchant for chaos. Mm. Yeah. And his life was just fucking pure he was, chaos. He, he was with, and equally part two, when Bulldog disappeared before SummerSlam. He was in the same flat with him smoking crack. Wow. When Brett rang him up to say, where's where's Bulldog? I know where Bulldog is. Oh, no, he's, he's back at this house smoking crack. How do you know? Oh, I've been smoking crack with him. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's, he's trying to suggest that, <laughs> that Bulldog's the only person having the crack binge. <laughs> but you might like, have like kind of, you know, own heart, famously straight-laced and all that. Yeah. And, you know, we've always talked about DX, how they have a reputation, a lot of, you know, crazy wild guys on a party and stuff like that, and Triple H was kind of the straight-laced guy. Yeah. I know Brett... He dabbled a bit in the partying scene. His his whole business was was extramarital affairs, yeah. and boy did he have many. But I think it's worth pointing out that the Hart Foundation between Pillman, Neidhart, and also Bulldog as well. British Bulldog, who, if you haven't heard the story about the time that they were all driving in a car, they got cut off by some guy who was speeding, so they drove up really fast, saw that the guy had been pulled over ahead by cops. They pulled over to laugh at him, make fun of the guy. The guy tried to throw a bottle at them, and then the cops got involved, and Davy Boy came out and hip-tossed the cop. Whoa. And attacked the policeman. Not the guy who had cut them off. Wow. He went for the policeman. And then he had and then he started attacking and the three police had to come and pull Davy Boy away. He was like, ah, a big muscle guy. <laughs> so like, yeah. Don't let anyone like tell you otherwise. The Heart Foundation and the Heart guys here, that's some chaos right there, folks. Yeah. And that's some wild men, not just Jim, others yeah. as well. If people would like to hear a bit more about the, the crimes of Jim Neidhart, listen to the podcast Crime in Sports. So we've got Owen Hart, we got Davy Boy Smith, and we've got Jim Neidhart representing the Hart Foundation taking on the Legion of Sid. And this one I was very excited for. Yeah. I felt like this was going to be either brilliant or absolutely hideous. What, like, what makes you think it was going to be brilliant and what made you think it was going to be hideous? Brilliant because, like, obviously Heart Foundation, fabulous yeah. wrestlers. And LOD and Sid, you know, I've got such a soft spot for big hosses getting thrown yeah. around or throwing other people yeah, around. Yeah. I figured the chemistry of people like Owen and Neidhart would elevate them. Downside being that it is LOD and Sid, so there was every chance that this match could just be no selling and fumbling around and tripping over yeah. your own feet. Like. Yeah, had very high expectations for this. I thought that this, all these big boys were going to get elevated to a, to a work of art. Mm-hmm. Alas, we did not get such a such a work of art. Although I will say, I have a lot of time for Psycho Sid as a babyface coming out going, "Yay!" and yeah. blowing kisses to people. To- he's got his Sid, evil Sid, music. Sid, blowing kisses. Does he know that he's about to leave? Because he'll be on Raw tomorrow, and then he won't ever be back. Like, that's it. He's gone. Adam Bibolo! I'm talking softball! Medley inconsiderable. <laughs> talking softball! 
<laughs> Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Well, that answers my question. I'm talking psycho. <laughs> Sid and the straw. So I think Sid knows he's, he's got it here soon. Yeah. Uh, he's even spitting like a softball. He spits on the ring apron yeah. like he's Aww. chewing his tobacco. Like Superstar line. Crush is there. He's uh, gonna gonna put you on rest hold, is he? On yeah. the phone, is he? Sure, that would be a great chat. Let's talk about sleep. <laughs> Why are you in the nation? <laughs> Have you heard about Sonny and Brian Pillman on the beach? <laughs> Owen starts the match, and then we get some bulldog and Sid in there. He does a suplex to Sid. That was very very impressive. Got a pile driver to Hawk who no sells it immediately. Completely yeah. no sells it. Just stands up. British Bulldog, he's incorporated a new dance into the offense. Is he that offense? This. I mean, he does a move that's... That's just general happiness, that to, is. Uh, to describe it, arms in the air, but then the feet are moving like you just don't care. Yes. Yeah. He's a little a little stand on his feet, little if, dance. If you just saw the feet by themselves doing that, it would look exactly like... Um, what, Brock Lesnar's thing? No, what's that 80s movie, the montage of the woman dancing in the warehouse? Flash dance. Like, flash dance. Yeah. That's what it looks like. And the first, when he debuted it is when Owen won the Intercontinental Belt on Raw, and it cuts to Davey at the top of the ramp going, Yeah! <laughs> He's so happy for his friend. I'm a maniac, maniac <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> So, I don't know if it's a good time to point it out, or if you notice it here, because I noticed it a lot on the next show, but Bulldog's looking a little... Smaller? A little smaller? Is that yeah. just me? No, it's mm. happening. He's greasier. It's yeah. When you see him next to the LOD, and on Raw you see him next to Ken Shamrock, and he really doesn't look like the big muscle freak that he used to. No. Which is fine by me, when you see 99 Bulldog looking like a muscle freak. I'd still rather take this smaller, healthier-looking guy. Got a very cool assisted slingshot, which causes Jim Neidhart to fly. And then Jim's working over Animal, which is great. It's like watching a wildebeest get worked over by a rhinoceros. Anvil is solid. Dense. In my mind, he's always been, I thought he had the Vader body shape, where it's like, yeah, this guy could be a tank if he worked out, but he's he's just a big guy. He wears the, he's got a big gut, big singlet. Jim Neidhart looks like he's made out of fucking stone. Mm. He actually looks like an anvil. I don't know why, where I ever got that from. Mm. Maybe some of the times at WCW when he wasn't being used or whatever. But he, for someone who was partying as hard as he was, he don't look like he was smoking crack. I think for me it's the singlet. Like A lot of the time I associate that kind of singlet with guys that have got a big belly they're trying to hide. Oh, and he does look, because he's quite stout and barrel-like. Mm. You you know, you would be forgiven for thinking that he is quite a, uh, a chubby man. But like, like you say, it is just pure muscle and he is just yeah. dense with muscle matter. There seemed to be some sort of miscommunication here or a case of trying to appease everyone because the crowd are desperate for a hot tag mm. and then they get it like a minute late and then it's to Hawk and then Hawk runs wild and it gets no reaction. Yeah. But then we get another hot tag to Sid who then runs wild and it feels like Hawk and Sid couldn't agree amongst themselves who was going to get the hot tags and mm -hmm. said we got two, which didn't work. Yeah. yeah, It was kind of weird. I did like Sid's big choke slam that he did though. He does a good choke slam, yeah. I never, I never really viewed him as a choke slam kind of guy, but Sid did do it. I, I kind of feel like when you get to six ten and above, then it's choke slam city for you. Yeah. Like you kind of have to do it. Is it a goozle if Sid does it? <laughs> okay, thank you for bringing up the word goozle. Goozle. Vince McMahon on Raw has said goozle. I'm going to say no less than five times. Are you? Really 
Damn, yeah. serious? In reference to specifically only The Undertaker. He'll never talk about Sid doing a goozle or anything. But I've heard him say that the goozle, goozle. The Undertaker. And something happens later on tonight that he talks about on Raw. And he's like, oh, The Undertaker last night, King of the Ring. Goozle after goozle after goozle. And I feel horrible that we gave Taz such a hard time. And we've been picking on him. And we've been saying nasty Oh, whoa, whoa, things. speak for yourself. It's still stupid when he says it. Yeah. It is. Just because another guy said it doesn't mean it less yeah, stupid. It is, but he didn't make it up. Okay, it he didn't innovate. It's not on him. Like. So, I mean, in fairness, though, if you're going to use Vince McMahon in the mid-90s as your precedent, that's not a good leg yeah, to stand on for commentary. Like, Now, hang on a second. Mike Adamley always used to say Jamaican <laughs> me crazy, so why can't I say it now? <laughs> it's established that it's a thing that commentators do. Jesus. <laughs> Did Vince McMahon bring up showy numbers? <laughs> Not that I'm aware. Did he call of. anyone a big Mexican bus? <laughs> Dial it up, quite frankly. <laughs> we go for a big powerbomb from Sid. Owned as a sunset flip off the top rope. Very cool music. Heart Foundation win. This was a bad match. Clunky as fuck. Yeah. Bye, Sid. Yeah. Yeah. He'll like with some fifty-fifty booking. He gets his win back the next night on yeah. Owen. And then leaves. <laughs> I mean, he does show. No, he does show up again one more time on Raw. Does he? He shows up brand new on Raw when they're going to do all the stipulations for SummerSlam, and the idea is that each Heart Foundation member is going to like put something up, like Bulldog's going to eat a can of dog food. <laughs> you know, uh, Austin's going to have to kiss Owen's ass, whatever it is. And Nightheart was going to put his goatee on the line against Sid, but then that never happens. So Wait. think about it. Mm. We are denied. Sid Vicious versus fucking Jim the Anvil Neidhart on pay-per-view. Wait, was Sid going to grow a goatee for the feud? No, no. Because he ain't got one. No, it's, like... it's Neidhart's goatee. That... So wait, Sid's got nothing to lose. Maybe the perm, I'm not sure. Like... So it's a heavy uh, nothing you match. You can't be losing the perm. No, definitely not. That's a once-in-a-lifetime oh, perm. Maybe he'll take Sid's pet squirrel away from him. Aww. <laughs> Oh. Not my little buddy! <laughs> Squirrely is the only friend I've ever had! <laughs> Recap of Austin Wayne, King of the Ring, 1996. And then we cut back to Toe Pettengale. He's with Mankind, who said that Triple H is going to need a train to roll down the line to beat him here tonight. Makes him lonely. And then he uh, quotes another great song. I just can't wait to be king! <laughs> of course we all know the Lion King is cancelled now so yeah, there's no point referencing it anymore alright the only thing less scary than those really scary lions going Shimba you have to go and, ah! yeah. it's imagine if mankind just did all the roles in it like instead when the baboon raises Simba that's Hakuna Matata such a wonderful phrase! <laughs> so it's a King of the Ring final as Hunter Hearst Helmsley takes on Mankind. Well, this is like something we're going to see a whole lot later on in the, in the Attitude Era. Mm. Seeing this nice and early here. Helmsley is a blue blood. Mankind has lost blood. Hey now. Brilliant. Yes, I'm well. I was really excited for this. Yes, yeah, same. JR brings up Dude Love a lot again in this match. He's trying his damnedest to put over Mixie Man. They basically may as well put a camera on Jim and have him go, folks, mix a baby face now, and we're going to need you to cheer him. We've decided. Please. <laughs> it's a slow start to this one. Very slow. I, I They do this often with the King of the Ring finals, where it's like you see a lot of guys wrestle, so we're kind of going to do a slower match that is different to our first opening matches to kind of build up more. But I will say, it 
it is too slow. This the yeah. crowd, they've lost the crowd. Did you hear what they called the crowd here tonight? No. no. The capacity crowd here tonight. Whoa, boy. A capacity crowd on hand. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Because they've not specified high capacity. Yeah. No. But they've they, not specified low capacity. That's a phrase they like to use. To, if they said at capacity, which is what they want you to think they've said. Like no. they're trying to fool you into thinking it's yeah. a sellout when it blatantly isn't. Like. No. Well, it's not like they're going to get in trouble if they say the show sold out when it hasn't. I mean, I they mean, do that all the time. They do anyway. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, who gives a shit? It's like, true. Just like, say that. This building can hold fifteen to 20,000. There are roughly 9,000 here. That's a capacity of people. And that that's a WWE number, 9,000. So it's probably more like seven or eight, yeah. maybe six. You it, never yeah. know. Like It's better than saying this crowd is a crowd. <laughs> it's gathering. <laughs> Look at all of them there. I mean, uh, very impressive camera work where I didn't think this is a half full arena. I didn't think that at all here tonight. Mm. But just when he kept saying capacity, I was like, huh. Very specific phraseology there, big man. It's just a section on hard camera is at capacity. <laughs> yes, there's legit. No, there's no one can fit. They, they're completely sold out of that section. Don't v- turn the camera around. <laughs> Don't turn the camera around. Vince emotionally is at capacity. He couldn't deal with any more people in this arena. Any more, it'd be too much for him. So this is just enough, thank you. Do you ever think, this has only just occurred to me, Vince on commentary desk sat there with all the public behind him, People must sneeze near him, surely. Mm. Like, has he ever been on commentary like, oh my god, oh my god, son of a... And now we know why he stopped doing commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to screw Brad Hart and start this Mr. McMahon character because I'm not doing this shit anymore. <laughs> and these sneezing mouth breathers. The slow pace has one benefit, which is the amount of character work that JR and Vince do for both men on commentary. We yeah. got a lot of world building here, a lot of talk about Helmsley's snobbish upbringing, a lot about mankind's tortured dreams and all the horrible shit that's happened to him. Mm-hmm. They even went as far that, like, Ahmed was originally going to win this tournament, apparently. Yeah. And they had Ahmed beat Triple H by DQ in the first round, but they did a gimmick afterward where they said that <sighs> Mr. Helmsley, because that he has uh, lawyers and is a rich man, didn't know that he wouldn't advance to the King of the Ring if he got disqualified, so he's allowed another chance. In fairness, I did like that because it's a stupid fucking thing. Good Literally, save. Triple H didn't know you could lose by DQ and not advance, so yeah. that's it's all. fair that he and lost to that way. You can kind of hear it in Vince's voice that we think this is bullshit, but he's like, so to avoid any legal action with Mr. Helmsley's lawyers, we've decided to give him a bye, like, which is great because they're just like, this guy's a dick and he's going to sue us, so... We'll let him back in his tournament. China interferes a lot, and Triple H is working the neck, which is meant to be sore from the previous match. Crowd ain't buying any of this, because we get boring chance. Yeah. Boring chance. In the finals! I didn't know the crowds back then knew you could chant boring. Like, you know, that <laughs> yeah. feels like such a modern thing to me. Yeah. This is like before wrestling fans got really jaded, and they're still chanting boring. Like It's got to be a tough time for them, when they are trying a lot of new creative stuff. And they're still not getting the reactions. Mm, I don't think that's to do with the creative here, though. I think that's to do with the pacing of this pay-per-view. You look at 98, which, to me, I never realised it at the time, but the more I think about it, it is quite a perfect King of the Ring when you've got, like, a lot of short matches, like Rock winning with the the nightstick. Yeah, yeah. Lots of little bits and pieces, and then you build up to the final that everyone wants to see the two guys clash. Well, not every King of the Ring can be a deadly game, I see. And I just feel like if they'd have had the semi-finals, like, take five minutes off of each of those, make the semi-finals a lot shorter and snappier, and then get to this match a bit easier, 
I think the crowd would be maybe a bit more into it. Like I do like though that they have the faith of the wrestlers and the characters that they are trying something new here because this is like fo- like if this was modern times and this was the reaction they were getting, they'd be like, "Well, this face turn is going to work. Turn McFoley back here." Yeah, they blame yeah. on that. Yeah, he he beat up someone by the end of the night. Yeah, like. definitely. Boy Kyoda, the youngest referee in the World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> does cool devil horns for a two count. Yeah. What a badass. <laughs> I bet he's got all sorts of posters on his wall at home as well. Hideous spinebuster thing by mankind. Mm, I'm very botchy this match. This is one of the worst nights out of the office for Triple H I've ever seen. Yeah. Mm. Fucking everything up. Come on, lads. Back body drop by to Triple H on the concrete. And we get a cactus elbow outside. Yeah. Oh, dude. Miss all the, the padded bits land right on the sore grey yeah. parts there. So we get a double arm DDT, but the referee is again distracted by China, who is interfering ad nauseum. The pedigree is reversed into a mandible claw, but China interferes again. And China's interfering here now, right from the referee. And Mike Kyoto's like, hey, what do you do? You can't do that. Come on now. Come on, China. Get out of here. One, two, three, four. And then he just goes back to the match. Now, China's not in the match. Nope. But we he just disqualify her. Like... He just starts counting at her. Mm-hmm. What, because she's doing something he doesn't like? I think that's a referee's instinct when they panic. Mm. Is just, uh, uh, one, two, just start that, counting. It's like a parent. I'm going to count to five. And then he's seen that, like, at four, she's not moved. So he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I thought I had this, I, I thought I had this authority and I obviously don't. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's good practice now, seeing as Mike Yoda has shown us the way that if something is happening in life that you generally have no control over, but you just don't like, Count to five. Let them know that you're not having a good time. Mm-hmm. Adam, if you're coming near my eggs and you got mint, I'll be right at you. One, two, three, <laughs> four. No. Get out of here. No. And I'll be waving my hands. And then you can evict him from the house. <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone in the podcast, if you're on a train of thought, someone's talking a hot take that you don't like, feel free to come at us with the five count here, guys. Yeah. That goes mm. for all of us here, right? So, yeah. We're going to have people doing it at the live show now. Like a one, <laughs> two, Please three. I can't have a protected conversation at a live show. I'm sorry. Can't have a protected conversation. We can't talk about Mike Kyoto counting without talking about 2019 Mike Kyoto counting. <laughs> there it is. That's all I needed. <laughs> Thank you. It's like a hockey alarm at the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> at the start of Lacey Evans' music, it's actually Mike Kyoto going. <laughs> <laughs> Mankind gets demasked after getting caught up in the ropes. Ah, that looks really sore. Yeah, and also as well, when he's demasked, you can see the character work all over the face there, all the hair that's been cut off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Suffering for his art. He looks like a fucking psychopath. Yeah, that's a big, big bald patch. Not the kind you can cover up when you're in the airport. Like, that's huge. He's missing a considerable amount of eyebrow as well. Yeah. Not a good look. Gotta gotta love the character commitment there. So get the claw again. And then he go fucking back first, diving into the barricade. No. Foley smacks his head. Jesus. And this gets really, really hardcore now. Where Triple H, he's all by the Spanish announce table. They fucking beat the shit out of El McFoley here. The crowd start coming alive now, at least. Like, it goes from being very slow and, like, humdrum to now really, really violent. Like Very violent. This is stuff that you don't usually see. Triple H taking Mick Foley on top of the announce table, 
sets up for the pedigree. JR goes, don't do that! <laughs> and then we get the pedigree onto an, uh, what appears to be my dining room table. Yeah. It was a fucking thonk. Yeah. Oh my god. Straight up thonk. And then China smashes him with the scepter as well. Flicks, hits him so hard it shatters. Yeah. Then he gets kneed off the apron onto Tom Buchanan. Yeah, one of our ringside photographers here, Tom Buchanan. So yeah, Foley has gotten four incredibly horrible shots to the head here in a row. In about the space of three minutes at the most. Less. At the very most. Uh, it's got to be two if that yeah. fucking hell. Triple H does a cocky cover and you know, barely covers him. Kicks out. Then we get the pedigree. Triple H win. Foley really overcompensated in this one. Absolutely. The start of the match was bad, but I've mm. got to admit, I was really into it at the end. But at what cost? Well, by, well, by the end, I don't think there's a single person in the crowd who is not a fan of Mankind. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is cemented the face turn. And much like he does for Triple H at Hell in a Cell in 2000... This is like perfect timing of Hunter Hearst Helmsley needs a little bit mean of a, streak. Yeah, yeah, he needs to have that nasty edge because it has been like two or three months solid now of China bailing him out and helping yeah. him. Yeah, it's good for him to have a bit of nastiness to him. Well, I just can't wait to be king. Does that mean Todd Pettengale Zazu when he comes in here? With his... <laughs> Hello! <laughs> I've got your crown. He's like, your crown and scepter. Now, the problem is, is that the hat is a, is the silliest king hat I've it's ever like seen. It's like inflatable. Yeah. <laughs> so cheap. It's got the old WWF logo as well. Yeah. And Triple H grabs it. It's like, if I wear this... Any juice I'm getting from winning this thing goes right by the wayside. So he's right on Mick Foley, beating him up with it so he can't wear it. And then he kind of, he shows it off like it's like, do you like my new mattress cover? <laughs> you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't wear it. My liege, your hat that makes you look kind of like Oz. Aww. It does that, doesn't it? Yeah, Proper Oz kind. So Triple H gets out of there, you know, back to Oz. Foley crawls up the ramp like he mm. still wants a piece of that ass. I, I, I liked this match. I liked it, I think, but I couldn't stop thinking about, Mick, you're going way overboard here. Like, I know the match started off slow. And there was a point where it was like, okay, you've got the crowd back into it. You've done it. Yeah. And then he kept getting more and more violent and it just felt so unnecessary. Mm. And he's going to have to top that next year. So we'll see what he does. Like. There, there was all upside for Triple H here, but there was like a lot of asterisks with Mick Foley's upside mm. here, you know. What do you think of this one, Bill? The start wasn't very good. The way that they did the match, it felt very Japanese. Well, there was a slow, a slow kind of feeling out. And, then, like... then, and then, then building up. But obviously, Japanese wrestlers can pull that off. Mm. Western wrestlers can't. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know why that is. But it, it's this... the crowds, maybe, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Because like, a, a silent crowd at the start of a Japanese match, that's not bad. That's, that's, to, be expected. that's, that's to be expected. But here, it was just being filled with boring chants. Yeah. And it's know? the final of the King of the Ring. Yeah. Like... I don't know. The, I, I feel like a King of the Ring final needs to be full energy. I mean, it can be it can be five minutes long. Yeah. If it's just full energy, two guys, they want to be King of the Ring, just kick the shit out of each other, one wins. That's all you need from a King of the Ring final. I don't think, is there been a heel King of the Ring winner where it's been like, fuck yeah, my God, wow, what an angle. Where it's not been a little bit like, this is the closest I could think here. Maybe Austin winning the year before because he was a proper heel then. Yeah, Kurt Angle. Yeah. I mean, that was a pretty good victory, mm. I think, from yeah. what I remember. 
Yeah, next year. We'll, we'll, we'll put Kurt in that category. Who's that jumping out the skies? Caption Contestio. Here we go. When the captions out, the boys, they tap out, better pass out. What? I'm, I don't know. I just feel. Why like, are we in Rey Mysterio fever all of a sudden? The spirit of Rey Mysterio lives in us all, Adam. Every day. You know, every day when I dial it up, when I'm ringing my phone, it's there. Booyaka, booyaka. It's time for a caption contest. But hey, Adam, I've got a question for you. If you had to choose between The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17, or The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 25, which one would you rank as being the best match? Mm. Oh man, that's tough. I mean, is there anything that I can sort of listen to that will help me prep for this question, Kevin? It's almost a question that's good enough that could elicit an entire podcast. And the boys at Last Match Standing, Spencer, Paul and Landon, have got you covered with their new podcast where they relive, review and rank the 100 greatest matches of all time, pitting them up against each other with all the matches being reviewed in the podcast, voted on by suggestions from the listeners. Ooh. It's kind of like a super Oscars, like we're putting all the best of the best against each other in a battle for survival. And what does the best match win, Kevin? The best match wins bragging rights. Nice. Which means Big Show will turn heel on <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Each episode is a deep dive into the story around the matches, how they developed, what happened in the ring, and the impact of those matches. And finally, each match will go head to head as the three guys duke it out to determine where the match ranks on their list of the 100 greatest matches of all time. And so far, we've got episodes Adam like Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Ooh. Which, as we all now know, is not the match you think it is. <laughs> we got Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio from Halloween Havoc 1987. And, of course, the clash between Triple H and Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam 2002. Oh, is that Bike Shorts Triple H? No, it's not Bike Shorts Triple H, but it's Jeans Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so you know you're in for a good time. It's available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want more information, you can check Check out Last Match Standing at Last Match Cast on Twitter or email them at lastmatchstanding at gmail.com. And hey, if you're interested in getting a shout out or a plug here and sponsoring the caption contest, head over to patreon.com forward slash AE podcast for all of the information on how to do just that. Adam, we've got a caption. What's the pick du jour? Today's picture is Todd Pettengill reluctantly handing Triple H his crown. My liege! And Triple H does not look best pleased about it. My liege, your crown and scepter. <laughs> so we've got some comments here over at facebook.com forward slash attitude era podcast. Adam, you've got some as well. Over on twitter.com forward slash AE podcast. Or at AE podcast if you're not into Earls. <laughs> Earls. Starting us off here, Gary Rose. Basically, I was thinking we switched the crown for a leather paddy cap. <laughs> the 94th minute says, Does this mean I get to sit on the <laughs> Iron Throne? <laughs> Looking around at all this better man. You guys are the best. <laughs> Chris Charnley here. I am Hunter of House Helmsley. First of my name, King of Kings, Leader of DX, Barrier of Talent, Wielder of Sledgehammers, and Father of NXT. <laughs> oh, I've got one here. Cowabunga, dude. Oh, shit. Shit's nice. Um, I get that. Yeah. Oh, it looks like he's figuring to do the Bartman right there. Andy Springer with a very straightforward, is this symbolic? Which I think is quite nice. Like, it, Thy kingdom has indeed come, it, Oh, Triple God, H. thank you for invoking the great documentary of Triple <laughs> H. You want to see Triple H in a tight grey t-shirt talk about his career in, in, in somehow an even more revised fashion than making the game? 
And uh, like Kingdom Come, I think we might have to review that sometime. Oh, I'd love to, I you know. know. Plates and plates and plates of good types we had there, Kevin. Andrew Zingle here. And it turns out the real King of the Ring was the friends I buried along the way. <laughs> Longtime fan Lizzie on Twitter with Who controls the wrestling crown? Who keeps the younger wrestlers down? I do. <laughs> I do. Who leaves Atlanta off the maps? Who has Hummus in his raps? <laughs> I do, I do. That's fucking gold. Who <laughs> makes Johnny Gargano a star? <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. And yes, I'm not, I don't want anyone to ever think that we're saying, hey, don't do no Simpsons No, it's gags. just the high effort Simpsons gags. You see, you're, you're working with some, you got some high-end people here, like Lizzie tweeting in with some high-end Simpsons gags mm -hmm. that there's a layers and layers to, much yep. like the layers and layers of hummus going into that rap, you mm -hmm. know? Up your game, Simpsons fans. That's all I'm saying. Do your homework. Michael Oswald here. Hey, what gives? This is supposed to be filled with hummus. <laughs> oh, that's weird that Joe Del Toro on Twitter also said this would be a great place to store hummus. It, it would literally not. No, it wouldn't. Your king hat is not where the hummus should go. <laughs> Simon Yates. Basically, this is a really important moment and a milestone in my career. And I'd like to thank the one man who's made it possible, the one guy who's always been there and I can look up to. Basically, I'd like to thank Aldo Montoya I for being it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for penning me. <laughs> Steve Clark, production assistant, comes up to Triple H. I got the crown you wanted, but I couldn't find any skulls, chainmail, or iron crosses. Well, I'll use it, but I'm not paying for it. <laughs> Dom LaMartina, I wonder if this will fit when I'm in the cack pizza. <laughs> Brandon on Twitter says, Damn it, I was hoping my terrible aristocrat accent was in this crown. I can't find the damn thing anywhere. <laughs> ben Allen, Dateline, Connecticut. The elusive DX Baron continues to thumb his nose at the authorities. Swaggering about in a garish new hat, he seemed to say, Look at me, Vince McMahon. I have a new hat. <laughs> Occupy Pro Wrestling. The first step to being king of kings is to become the king. The second step will be revealed next time on Tough Enough. <laughs> so many people sent this one in, so this is like a blanket one. Okay. It's good. It's good cap. That's good. Joe Merrick. This is what you're rewarded with once you complete your regiment in making the game. With this in mind, I'm looking forward to seeing the Grand King Bibolo. <laughs> oh, now there's a gimmick I could get into. Yeah, King like. Bibolo. I mean, you're English, you're halfway there. One of my favorite Twitter accounts, Billy Gun Fact here. With, yeah, best Twitter account ever. One day I'll make sure Billy never has a coronation ceremony because I'm a jealous little joke with a flabby ass. The, every day that goes by, the more I think that is Billy Gunn running that account. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, or, or it's Bart Gunn who's really trying to get back in, in the Gunn family good books, I think. Like, you know. <laughs> this is beautiful here from Anthony Sorrentino. Basically, you sit there and you bump your body and you pull your hairs and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Shans, talk about your Austin 316. Hunter 316 says that just buried your ass. <laughs> All he's gonna do is buy him a cheap VCR and try and watch back some of that courage he had in his prime. So the King of the Ring, I'm serving notice to every one of the WWF superstars and they're all on the list. And that's Triple H's list and I'm fixing to bury all of them. <laughs> Doc Hendricks looks uh, ooh. <laughs> Very nice work. We've got Ned Balm here on Twitter. 
<laughs> with a serious hardcore making the game reference. So basically, I walked into a renaissance fair and I saw two guys dressed as kings and I thought, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> so like, we're gonna have the, the side plot here where Triple H gets mentored by a group of kings, <laughs> like... And they're all like, thrown up together in the <laughs> renaissance fair. <laughs> if you haven't heard making the game, he came from a very strange gym background. Yeah, well, it's funny, like, making the game, which Adam reviewed on Patreon, even at his incredibly retconned, let's make this seem as least weird as possible, it's still so fucking weird. Yeah. What makes you realize that the actual story is probably like David Lynch levels of fucking weird. <laughs> Horrifying. Josh Greensweet, I could use this as a scoop to bury people. <laughs> it's burying scoop. Oh my god. James or JT or whatever on Twitter says, As king, there are a lot of bi things I am, and Camerol isn't one of them. <laughs> Okay, so for those of you who aren't brushed up on your parliamentary procedure... For those of you that didn't just do a quick Google like we a, a cheeky Google. That is a legislative body having two chambers, a lower and an upper chamber. So a House and a Senate, House of Parliament, House of Lords, a doll and unshannoned like we have in Ireland. So yeah, there you go. Great. <laughs> I, I'm genuinely happy I know that now. Thank you very much for broadening my horizons. Slate Punch growing on Twitter saying, I guess you could say, bow down to the, bow down to the me. <laughs> Jay Love, nothing bad ever happened to people in crowns and tiaras, right? Picture of Laura Palmer there. Hmm, there she is. Oh no. That's just for us, that one, Kevin. <laughs> Luke Haskins on Twitter, call this prime delivery. This was supposed to arrive back in 1996. That shovel I'm waiting for better not be on back order. <laughs> oh, and also, yeah, like, are we at around 20 people with. Finally! Ha <laughs> ha! That's good. Well, that is it for the caption contest. Now to head back to the past, 1997 of course, where King of the Ring 97 is about to resume. Coming up next, for the first time ever on pay-per-view, tag champions will collide as Stone Cold Steve Austin takes on the returning heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. So Shawn Michaels had a uh, bit of a tumultuous time away. Isn't it weird that we've seen Sid wrestle more than Shawn Michaels so far on this really podcast? Weird, considering that Shawn is supposedly the guy. Found like, his smile. Found it. Found his smile. It was really bad when he came back his first night back after, you know, saying he's going to come back and wrestle. Finally, ready to go. And he come back and Vince McMahon's like, Shawn Michaels, here he comes. Shawn dancing on the ramp, cut to the crowd and someone with a big sign going, it says Shawn Michaels can die in capital letters. Ah. Woo! Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> He's cancer. Shawn Michaels is cancer. I mean, you gotta feel bad for Shawn. He's like had a hard go of it, you know, in, in some respects. But in other respects, Shawn Michaels, at this point in time, is one of the most lonesome fucking individuals in the yeah. World Wrestling Federation. Mm -hmm. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. And the phrase that has been thrown around to describe Shawn Michaels at the moment is that he was ill-equipped emotionally to deal with the status of being the top guy in the company. He wanted a new contract. He wanted, he wanted seven figures like Brett. And when he was told he couldn't have it, he said, I'm going to go back to WCW with my real friends, Kevin Nash and Scott mm. Hall. Well, you just stay in a four-year deal and yeah. you, you can't. <laughs> literally, yeah. that was the response. Is like, no, you won't. You're not allowed. You literally won't do that. You can't. But like. Sean had his way, though, because Sean wore a bandana on Raw. So everyone know that he's friends with Kevin Nash. So eat it, old man. 
so eat it, lame. old man. There's so much of Sean's behaviour I've been reading about in the observers from this time that is just such eye-rollingly childish stuff. Mm. Now, have you heard ever before about sunny days, Billy? I am familiar just by name. Right. So there was a promo that Brett did to Sean when Brett's still in the wheelchair. And Brett is out of the wheelchair now. And these guys were meant to have a match. It was going to be Brett versus Sean. All four Hart Foundation members are handcuffed to the ringside. If Brett can't beat Sean in 10 minutes, then he'll never wrestle in the United States ever again. That's a great gimmick. Yeah. That's fucking mm. wild. This is the, the match they're meant to happen at WrestleMania 13. But then they have some problems and Brett says he's still injured. But the reality was is that they were getting into all sorts of fights, verbal and otherwise. Mm-hmm. So Brett was told, go out there and do a promo on Sean. And you fucking go to town on him. You talk about him being a bad role model. Talk about him piercing his navel, being in girly magazines. He's not a real man. He's not got the jam, yada, yada, yada. So Brett does a promo where he's like, look at you, Shawn Michaels. You make me sick. You're like all these disgusting American coast-to-coast hyena wrestling fans. You got no class. You got no guts. You got no jam. Run around with your willy hanging out. <laughs> Goodness sake. <laughs> but the point of the matter is, Sean's there looking at him kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you the business. Yeah. Once, it's my, once it's my turn, once I show you my YouTube video, you're going to be blown away. Now, Brett was meant to keep going and going and going. And then Sean was meant to like have a real kind of, this is America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Not the land of the free and the home of the Canadian shit, you goddamn ass, and get out. <laughs> and Sean was doing, meant to do the super kick to Brett in the wheel, you know, stands about the wheelchair, super kick, Brett falls in the wheelchair, big comedy cell, like. And Raw goes off the Raw air. Raw goes off the air. That's the plan. Now, the problem was, was that Brett was so deep into this, like, and another thing. I was talking to my kids about you the other day, and they said that you've got like a pierced navel, and I thought, what kind of a man is Shawn Michaels? And then I had a chat with some of my other friends, and he was just in it too deep, and Raw goes off the air with Shawn Michaels going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and Brett going, and another thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then Josh goes, well, we're gonna go, bye, folks. And that's it. And that's Raw. So they, afterwards, Shawn didn't even know they went off the air. And he, that he didn't get to see his comeback, like. So Shawn was furious. He thought that Brett went into business for himself. And Brett wanted to make him seem like a bad guy in front of everyone. And Brett deliberately missed his cue so Sean would just come across as a bad guy. So then Sean gets some interview time the next week. And Sean goes, well, Hitman, we all know that you've been enjoying some sunny days. And everyone goes, oh. And then Jim Ross is like, why don't you ring up the Superstar line later on? We can tell you about Fuck Bret Hart having an extramarital affair with Sonny. You know, it... It was basically him saying to Brad, you're cheating on your wife and I'm telling everyone in the yep. world. And that was not cool with Brett. And Brett's wife, who historically didn't like Brett's extramarital affairs, she wasn't too keen on them. Was, huh, uh, interesting. Old-fashioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you see Julie Hart in Brett's documentary, Wrestling With Shadows, there's a woman who just fucking is sick to her back teeth of both her husband and the wrestling business. Oh. But yeah, and his kids as well. Like in school, people going, going, ha ha, your dad's cheating on your mom with Sonny. Jesus. Now, the reality is, did Bret Hart cheat with his wife a lot? Yes, yep. a lot. 
as in there's chapters about how hot the girls are he did it with oh, as well. Oh, for fuck's sake. You know, and Chad's like, and even after my stroke, I managed to get some serious babes. <laughs> no. Still got it, you know? <laughs> and, uh, it was so bad. And there was a part as well where it was like, I can't believe it. And now that I've divorced from Julie, I don't even really want to go out and meet any hot babes. There's something about being on my own now that I don't want to do it anymore. It's so not good. The, like, the charge... Such a balance. Even his book is therapy like the, the, that. The, the, the charge is honest in the sense that Brett was... Put, he was saying, I'm a family man. You know, family values, Canada. Yeah. Obviously not the case. But, like, the reason Sean said it was because he was angry at Brett. Sean was having an affair with Sonny. Mm-hmm. And Sean... Had, had it broken off with Sonny and Sean was paranoid thinking the reason Sonny broke up with him because of Brett was because of Brett now of from my research with the Sherry episode you know Sherry said the one thing she knew about Sean Michaels when she first managed him in the 90s was bloody fingertips because Sean was so anxious he'd always be biting mm. his fingers he'd need one of her special gloves to rub on his face to calm down oh. So Sean was so wound up thinking, oh, Sonny's left me because of Brad. Sonny was actually with fucking British Bulldog. Right. So she was cheating on someone else. Someone, someone else was cheating because Bulldog was married as well oh to Brett's God. sister, you know? So Brett was unhappy. Sean was unhappy. But whatever made the Sonny days, the real days we have to talk about are Shawn Michaels' slurry days. Yeah. Because that promo, people don't seem to pick up with the fact that he fucking said it with one eye open. Yeah. He is off his fucking kilter. He's found his smile, but he's lost his ability to stay awake and speak mm. sentences. Mm-hmm. It's really worrying. And then they actually had like a little minor scuffle backstage at one point as well that I heard That, about. that happens like... after this, the actual fight. But yeah, they did have a scuffle where they went in to fight each other backstage. And like I, Jim Cornette tells the best where someone came in and it's like, I've got Shawn Michaels' hair. Because Brett just ripped out this police's <sighs> hair. Like it was like fucking schoolyard mm. shit. Now... Is this Brett's fault? Is it Sean's fault? Is it Vince McMahon's fault? Who's telling him? Because Brett's saying, I was told to say this in the interview. After having watched the Slammy Awards with you, I think all of this is Vince's fault. Like, genuinely, they twist the knife and push those buttons so much more than Sean and Brett He's worked them into a shoot. Absolutely. He's trying to rile them up against each other because he knows it's good TV. And the fact that, yeah, it is good TV, but it's very unhealthy for these two. And it's just made such a, like... Horrible environment to work in. It's like Sean's Michaels is the most toxic mix of anxiety and ego and like I insecurity. I, I, I get being insecure and anxious, I totally get it, but the way it makes him act out against himself mm. and against other people is so worrying. So Shawn Michaels, even with all this, is now thrust into an angle with Austin, where Austin wants to fight the Heart Foundation. Bulldog and Owen challenge him to find any partner to fight him. Austin goes and he finds Harvey Whippleman and he's like, you just stand on the on the apron. He's like, sure thing, Steve. <laughs> and then the, the Brooklyn Brawler wants to be Austin's tag partner as well. Austin beats him up. It ends up being Shawn Michaels. They win the match in kind of like a bit of a fluke thing. During the match, Shawn accidentally hurts Austin and Austin's got a bad neck. I didn't know this. Austin was told at this point by a doctor, your neck sucks. Retire from wrestling. Oh, fuck. Even before the pile driver. Even before the pile driver. Jesus. And you know what he did? He went and he found another doctor, Jay Youngblood, who said, yeah, your neck's okay. You you got a second opinion. And that was the guy who would would fuse his neck years later. Same guy. Jim Ross and Vince are at a broken table. Jim Ross looks devastated by this. <laughs> I want to sit down. That was my daddy's table. So yeah, Austin and Michaels are tag champions, unlikely tag champions, and they are facing off here tonight against each other. And they're doing the whole thing like, can't you see? 
that they want that it's the alliance are gonna win if you guys keep fighting against mm-hmm. each other. So it's you know pretty much a it's it's a story as old as time itself, but it works very very well. And Austin and Michaels are two polar opposite faces, you know. Yeah, it feels like Sean is like the squeaky clean good guy. Yeah, freedom of expression. Feel like that's not got much more life left in it. No, he's definitely getting more of the the cheeky good guy now. Mm. He's not quite so babyface. Hart Foundation come out. Bret Hart is announced he's going to be on commentary. Vince McMahon quietly says, we haven't got a spare headset. Well, they try and blame it on the damage, but it blatantly is that they just don't have another headset. Fucking like, ridiculous. What's the point of even having this? I don't know. I think it was so Bret could do something. They had him here. Yeah. It's yeah. king of the ring. He can't sit at home, even though he would have gladly done so. I reckon Bret could have wrestled tonight if he wanted to. Maybe. But I think this is like, oh, Brian and Bret, maybe you guys sit this out and we... I don't know, build up the tension with you and Sean for a little bit more. I don't know, they got no headset for Brett. Go over the house show mic like in WWA. None of these guys ever beat me. They've never beat me. They never will. Brett announces his return for the next show. Five on five at the Canadian Stampede. In, in your haste, Canadian Stampede. <laughs> in your haste. <laughs> We're going hame, Adam. <laughs> so yeah, at the In Your Haste pay-per-view... The entire Hart Foundation have thrown in the gauntlet. The gauntlet will be picked up by Goldust, the Legion of Doom, Austin, and Ken Shamrock. Psycho Sid was also going to be part of that team at some point as well. Mm. So, yeah, this is a great idea. Already you can tell that they know this is going to yeah. be fucking golden. So, Bret Hart has got nowhere to go with this no-headset, ham-sandwich-ass fucking nickel-and-dime operation. So, Patterson and Briscoe and all the guys have to come out and make him leave. And Bret's like, you're making me leave? How about freedom of, where's my freedom of speech? You're Canadian. You don't get freedom of speech. It's only in America. That's for us. That's, it's for us. Most Americans. Us Americans. Well, we're Americans, kind of. Like, they're we're, our kids, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I, I love this chaos that is broken down here because it's like, Heart Foundation come out. They want to be on commentary. They can't be on commentary, so please leave. Because Brett loves talking. Yeah, but they won't <laughs> leave. They're standing there harassing the staff and everything, and Brett's there, like, just refusing to go. And you got Vincent Mann trying to be babyface commentator. This is, like, the first ever inkling of Mr. McMahon coming out on season four. He's like, come on now, please, gentlemen. Please. God damn it, would you please leave? <laughs> he just breaks for a second. The noisy children of the Heart Foundation here. Brian Pillman grabbing a lamp, turning it on. <laughs> the spotlights on you, Vince McMahon. Leave. Go. Go away. <laughs> Pillman tries to steal a sign from a kid. That is a, pro- that is a pro-Brian Pillman sign. Is it, keep it. Is, is, like... It says Pillman kicks ass. It's like, nah. I want to put that on the wall when I get home. JR goes, take him to jail. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of made the Heart Foundation seem a little shit. Unless like this gang of fucking wild thugs do whatever the fuck they want. That like, Tony Gurria and like, you know. Earl Hebner Earl Hebner. Like, yeah. yeah, come on now. It's not even Earl Hebner. It's Dave Hebner is getting about here. Okay, sorry. Twin brother like, you know. Backstage, Doc Hendricks is with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I like having green in my jeans. Well, it's, it's Doc Hendricks that says that. Oh, he says having green in his jeans. Is it Austin who says he likes having coin in his groin? Or did I make that <laughs> It's going to get violent, son. Also, another gloop of the night. Lovely long shot here. Austin, all the way from the backstage area, through the ring, into the, his entrance. He does a spit when he's walking as well. I like that a lot. I, I like that Austin says that he won't cripple Sean because as long as they're tag team champions, you know, we'll, we'll make money. Like. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'll kick his so head in, but cool. not too much. Yeah. Like. Love it. 
Austin faces off with the Heart Foundation, like, right before he comes out to the ring. It's so cool. Real, like, even though it's rinky-dink, like, Austin's there, I'm mouthing off with the guys. You can't see them because the light's not on them. Yeah. Like, if you imagine with the production skill they have now, if they actually added this layer here where, mm-hmm. you know, you follow them from the, the, the talking point all the way to the mm. ring and you can actually see them now and see this world because it's not... You know, we've got more than one headset. Yeah, <laughs> that layer of reality. They haven't just they need to put more effort into stuff like that. I didn't point out the star. I should mention all the nameplates tonight are on tapestries, yes. which I appreciate a lot. Mm. First and only time we've had tapestries here in the Atmosphere podcast, and I'm, I'm I'm for it. I'm not against it. Doc Hendricks now backstage with uh oh, Shawn Michaels. Oh. Not got really much to say for himself. He's literally got nothing to say. Like at least he's not slurring his words. Mm, I don't know. It still it seems a little bit intoxicated to me. And here we are, folks. It's time for Shawn Michaels' court-ordered King of the Ring appearance as he comes out glumly shaking hands with people, <laughs> looking down at his shoes. He looks so miserable. Your, it's your return to pay-per-view. Yes, this I, is big comeback match. Is this her first match with him back? Yes. Are you fucking yeah. shitting me? And it's like the hottest angle on TV at the minute. Do a fucking dance. Come on. Like, that's what you're here for. He looks so depressed. It's so patent. He's, he's found his smile, folks. Don't worry. Mm, sure, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Do you sure that's what he lost it again. Oh, no. You found your grimace instead. <laughs> Damn it. It's like, you see that big purple motherfucker behind him? Yeah, that's grimace. That's not a smile. <laughs> Go back home. Get right. Fucking hell. I'm so excited for this, even though Sean clearly isn't. Yeah. yeah. It's Austin and Michaels. Think of the only time we got this mm-hmm. was King it was WrestleMania 14. Our first main event that we did, yeah. And that was when fucking hell, Shawn Michaels' back was not here to play. Yeah. Sean's physically alright. And this is Austin pre-neck injury as well, so like this should be them at their peaks. I don't know. This is very, very strange. Get a bit of a strange start here. Yeah. Yeah. Something kind of goes goes awry, but I think all being said, it was handled pretty well. Mm. Yeah, special Olympian. Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that that botch. Well, it's not really a botch, I guess. It's but. not. It's like you got a, a special Olympian jumped the barricade. And I don't think their security were equipped to deal with this. The secu- they put like they put the poor lad's arm up his back. Yep. And then I think they turned him around and realized, oh shit, this lad's got Down syndrome. What do we do now? Yeah, this is the reason why you do risk assessments. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally for moments. You can, see, you can see the look in the security's face where that we're doing our job. Oh fuck! Mm-hmm. You can see it in their face, and they they're just standing there saying, "What do we do?" I think the moment here where Sean the match kind of stops and Sean stops what he's doing and he goes over there to like I've had people going on. Oh, this is a work. All this. This is just to make Sean. No, I don't think what? No, I, 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 I wouldn't put is... it past Vince. To yeah, do something to, to, like this. But it's not. It's, but I, it's real. This is real. And you know what? This is. If it wasn't for this, I'd, I think I wouldn't have any doubt in my mind. I'd be like, Shawn Michaels like, is, a, is a big piece of shit. Like, the way mm-hmm. he acts and is just, there's no redeeming qualities. And he's got a heart here. He's got at least yeah. a semblance of a heart. Yeah. And he's got not only a semblance of a heart, but he also has a semblance of what his role is as one of the top baby faces in the company. Because if you're John Cena, fucking Roman Reigns. Yep. You know, I extend to any top fucking person. If you're at the fucking Ronda Rousey or Becky Lynch, mm-hmm. whoever it is, I feel that you're meant to be that point of contact because so many people look at that show and think that you're their fucking their hero and their friend or yeah. whatever. 
And Austin couldn't, sure, Sugar couldn't do it. And you've got a security guard, like, really roughly handling this person with Down syndrome. Like, he I, looks I so think, distressed. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very distressing, the situation. And I, yeah, I can't applaud Sean enough for actually going over and making sure everything was all right. I, Twice. I, yeah, I, I think he must have told the security guards to, like, just ease up a little bit. Like, Yeah, and then, like... Shawn Michaels kind of walks back. Like, Austin goes to attack him. Yeah, yes. Austin, Austin's improvised healery here is great. Perfect. But Austin and the kid are in on it together. Yeah. Like, <laughs> high fives him, like, you know. Shawn Michaels does the fingers to, to Austin as well. And mm. Vince McMahon immediately apologizes. I don't think Austin has quite uh, copyrighted the double fingers yet. Because no. everyone's doing this shit. Shawn Michaels giving the fingers. British Bulldog giving the yeah. fingers. I think that's Steve's lads. Yeah. You know, come on now. So yeah, Vince McMahon in full apology mode. As Shawn Michaels hugs and helps the Special Olympian leave. Then Austin holds open the ropes. And we get some awesome grappling. It starts in earnest. And I thought... This speaks highly of this whole product and company that that could happen. And then they just started, nothing wrong, let's just go to it. Back to the plan. Back to the plan. And the crowd were into it and there was nothing else needed to be said about it. Mm. To the point where you don't need to take this out of the pay-per-view or anything. Because all this does is make them look like, oh, actually they had that situation really, really well. They both stayed in character. It was over before you know it. Like, it was really well done. Austin holding open the ropes. I love that. The little cheeky Are you done? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah, this is fucking great. This grappling is unbelievable. As Jim Ross, in the middle of this grappling, proceeds to talk about great weekend for horse racing, folks. Then we get a nice one-minute horse analogy. Austin is like a horse, you see. And Shawn Michaels is also like a a horse. Uh, Shawn Michaels is like a racehorse, whereas Steve Austin is more like one of those big, heavy horses. Back in the 90s, I was on a very famous wrestling show. <laughs> Stone Cold the Horse, what? Don't trust anyone. <laughs> and I'm fixing to do my podcast now. <laughs> uh, the cameraman takes a bit of a tumble early on. Yeah, that's good. Nice little it's proper slapstick. He fell and he fell again. And then it's like, it's like when like at the end, of, like, I think I have to do it over. My blindfold fell off. <laughs> oh my God. A beautiful roll-up sequence gives us Vince McMahon at his absolute worst. And he's like, whoa, no, no, no. Whoa! 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 He's rolling him up. It's not going to end here. Shut up. It's going to be fine. So much faster than the typical WWF showing at the time. Honestly, I I was expecting a good match. I was not expecting such a fast-paced match. This is like what you're getting from WCW Cruiserweights. Yeah, genuinely. You know, this is fucking incredible. Austin unsheathes the concrete. Mm -hmm. And we get fucking press slammed by Steve Austin. I Unbelievable! Was yeah. He did a proper press slam and Sean lands right on his fucking elbows and knees. It's oh. hideous. Get a real close-up of the rest holding the ring. I kind of feel bad for pointing it out because like they're communicating. But I took this point to say Austin is so good at communicating. Like he's there mm-hmm. with Michaels, and the way his head is turning, you know that they're definitely talking yeah. you, can, you know that's obviously what they must be doing right now that's the point of this spot but no lip reader or interpreter mm. could ever actually figure out no. what the fuck was being said and I was thinking that's like something you need as a top person like Undertaker apparently can actually speak his mouth making mm. no movement whatsoever tell us John Cena like <laughs> if that's one of your criteria for being a top guy like... then he's a fucking mid-carder at best baby like. <laughs> 
HBK comeback stops when he donks into the ring post and his bum comes out. The pop from the ladies. <laughs> the ladies like seeing it's like seeing his bum say hello. Yeah, seriously. The ladies react for this like most grown men for a glass breaking in a pub in England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stop what you're doing. Everyone turn around. Silence on commentary for the whole ass spot. Yeah. Why? You just don't want to acknowledge it. Vince's like, I'm just going to hang out here for JR. Sometimes going to let the action speak for itself. God damn, that's a good ass. <laughs> Ref gets bumped into. We get the Stone Cold Stunner. And then, of course, Austin really pointing out that he could have gotten the win here at this point. He stuns Tim White. <laughs> Love that. It t- takes too long to come out. Yeah, he didn't get the one, two, three. So he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Let me pick the referee up. And he slowly lifts him and then BAM! Stun him. <laughs> 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 what a dick. Nice piece of business there. And then Austin gets sweet chin music. And then comes the youngest referee in the World Wrestling Federation. Quick as a fox. Silent as a feather. <laughs> Mike Chioda is here to graciously count to three. Or as many numbers as he feels necessary. <laughs> goes to check on his ref mate instead no. oh man you know what they say refs before grefs <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Yoda gets switching music and then our Hedrick comes out and is like well if British Bulldog and Shawn Michaels are, I'm gonna do the fingers now yeah. Hey, it's me, Earl Hebner. DTA, Hebner 316. <laughs> then he fucking gives him the stunner and drinks a beer. What the fuck is this? But no, Hebner comes out, he flips them both out, and he mimes like, You gave him the Stone Cold Stunner, and you sweet chin music to him? Oh no, yeah. you're out of here! Fucking beautiful. Big foose ride arc all at the end there. <laughs> DQs them both. I don't think I've ever popped for a double DQ. I was like, oh! Yeah, this is the only time I've seen a double DQ and I've gone, yeah. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm happy with that. Well on board with it. It was such a great finish. Yeah, really, really well done. It made Earl Hebner like total take no shit. Made Austin and Michaels, it's like either man could have won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But both of them felt like they were stupid. And both of them looked like a little kind of stupid. But not so, like, it's like if you couldn't get along. Like, you're tag champions. You couldn't even win a match with each yeah. other, you know? Hot-headed, I'd say. Not yeah. Like, yeah. Really great. And, of course, Vince McMahon really sounds like going, Huh, both men are losers. <laughs> well, yeah, he says... Both men are disqualified, and JR goes, Well, it's kind of like kissing your sister, as they say. Yeah. What? The only good thing is that you can walk away from it. <laughs> like you did, JR? <laughs> I'm just saying, JR grew up in a house full of sisters. He's got like three or four sisters. Okay. Just let that hang there for a minute. <laughs> no, Shawn, Michaels, Shawn Michaels has not taken his ass out, folks. We're really just trying to figure this one out. Yeah. This came up four years later in 2001. And he said it was like a kiss your sister type stipulation. Now, he used kiss your sister as an adjective right here. This is the definitive form. This is the thing. Yeah, it is like kissing your sister, as they say. (laughs) It is like kissing your sister, as I have done many times. As I, Jim Ross, have kissed my sister. I'm thinking about doing it right now. (laughs) But at least I can walk away from it. Like I'm married to her or anything like that. (laughs) So, great finish to that one. And of course, after this... We have Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart with a real hair-raising encounter on Monday Night Raw. Michaels is gone again now. We're not going to see him next time. So what's the reason for this one, then? He says he can't work with, with Bret. Oh, this is no... He's not even going to pretend it's an injury uh, or a smile. After the fight, he 
ran into the Booker's office. He ran in with Vince and Cornette and all them. Tears streaming down his face, according to Cornette, and said, I can't fucking do this. Can't work with him. Now he's attacking me. And that's that then. That's that then. At least he's not pretending it's so, someone yeah. else now. Have, like. have a few weeks off, then we'll come back and we'll we'll make it even harder for you, basically. Oy. It's it's really bad. Mm. It's it's terrible. And I think, you know what, it's talent relations have got something to answer to there. Because JR is just kind of like, well, Vince is telling this stuff and that's all we can do. But like, if you're having to send Shawn Michaels home so many times... Just think how the landscape of wrestling would be after this if this was like a safe environment mentally for these two guys yep. yeah because Montreal wouldn't have happened no mm-hmm. you know you, you could go as far to say that Bulldog would have never got injured by because he left him you wouldn't have went to WCW there's so much yeah. so much you know butterfly flapping its wings mm-hmm. there's so much butterfly effect here Ashton Kutcher's all over this yeah, bill absolutely. I know what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> but like if, if this was just a nice working environment and yeah. a nice working relationship that just between these two men the landscape of wrestling would be so different i mean it doesn't even have to be nice i think i, I this might be naive. amicable yeah this might be communicate like, i sincerely think all of this could have been resolved by genuinely vince just right goes right both of you come in here i've got nothing on for the next four hours sit in this room with me we're gonna lock the door we're going to talk about what this problem is that we've all got going on here and we're not going to leave until we figure this out. I genuinely think if they'd have just talked about this, because yeah. so much of it is like, oh, and then when word got back to Sean about what Brad yeah. had said, like, it all gets so out of control because of the third parties involved. But in like it. in Wrestling With Shadows, there's a pit where Brett's in the limo and he's like, he, you know, Vince is telling me Sean is upset about this specific thing that Vince told me that Sean said that he wanted to say. Yeah. And like he seems recalling times where Vince, Sean, and Brett are all there, and Sean's like, "Yeah, hit me with this, give me this, give me this." And then afterwards, apparently, it's it's too far and all mm-hmm. that. So they've not done these guys any favors here. No, you know, and it's not as if like we need this. Like you know, it's not as if we need Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart to hate each other. It's not like, oh man, I can't wait to tune into Raw to see these guys. It's actually the bit of the show I like the least right now. Yeah, it's because I know how much it's affecting them in mm. real life. I don't want to see that. They're fu- it's fucking wrestling. Can't you find two guys who don't hate each other and put them together instead? Legit. You've got a big roster. Yeah. You know, a really big roster. And of course, Michaels, he relinquishes his tag team championship as well now. Yes. So Austin has to find a new partner and we have a tournament that will take place next month. So what a fucking ridiculous load of shit that is. Childish mess. Cut to assign the audience. Vince, don't you dare ruin Sasuke. That'll be uh, next month's show. Mm. And we'll get to talk about that. Oh, you just wait. <laughs> Fucking smart. Seriously. <laughs> Backstage, Ton Pettengale with the Nation of Domination. They uh, recap him beating down The Undertaker. And you see, Adam, everything was going A-OK. Oh, dear. But you see, Farouk, he had to play the race card. <laughs> Ah, so it's all Farouk's fault. It is. For, two, okay. for at least two, maybe three weeks on Raw, Billy, race card was the word of the night. And it's not like, oh, we're talking about race or anything. We're saying outright, Farouk... Was, this doesn't exist. Yeah, Farouk, Farouk has just... played this race <clears throat> yeah. card and it was so unnecessary. And, oh, we've got so many athletes of colour here who would never play the race card because they're good people. And how dare you bring race into this matter? Like... Farouk is named number one contender. And I like this kind of, there's logic here because, you know, Farouk 
won against Ahmed Johnson. He was injured. He's a top contender. So Farouk is number one contender against The Undertaker. He cuts a promo in the ring. And he says to Vince McMahon, there's never been a black champion here in the World Wrestling Federation. All we've had are token black superstars like Bobo Brazil and Ahmed Johnson. You don't think a black man is good enough to be world champion, but you think a black man's good enough to wash your car. And people are like, boo, 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 boo. And he's like, I'm going to stand up and fight for myself because Martin Luther King tried to talk to you people and you got killed. So I'm going to do it by any means necessary. And then Vince McMahon is like, well, Mr. Farouk, there's no reason to play the race card now. No, 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 that's the way you're on about. That's a, that's a perfect defence. No. Perfect defence for his actions. Like, don't get me... Like, there's, no, like, there's, there's nothing untrue about what Farouk is saying. Everything is correct. Like. You know, is he saying it with a bit of fucking, you know... A, a bit of salt and pepper in his voice. Is he saying it as a villain? Yes, he is. But it, you know, you can say you know, Kofi Kingston. He spoke so eloquently before WrestleMania. Do a lot of mm. media calls talking about, you know, saying how it means a lot for someone in my position. He he expanded it beyond saying yes, it means a lot to African Americans, but also to people who might see me struggling in my career, not get an opportunity for other. He was very eloquent, very even-handed. Like it was lovely to see that someone like Kofi could so beautifully put a nice bow on it not be bitter and you know it really kind of make WWE seem really good in the process mm. I think WWE owe Kofi Kingston a whole hell of a lot because he really made them look good in his handling of that storyline yeah. they feel yeah. like they've gotten a pass on it whereas Farouk here it's just a bad guy boo bad guy Farouk mm-hmm. Billy time for a little quiz which of the following World Wrestling Federation superstars have claimed to transcend race here we go. A, The Undertaker. B, The Rock. The Rock has said that he transcends race. Yeah. Because I remember that because I know that OJ Simpson also said that he trans- He said, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm OJ. And, and Rock <laughs> yeah. has said something similar. Uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're wrong, Billy, I'm afraid. The answer was both because oh. The Rock said that he transcended race when people, during the Kofi stuff, people were talking on Twitter saying, well, wasn't The Rock a champion? And The Rock went in some minutes and said, no, just to so, point out that I transcended race. So I didn't, I don't drag me into this because I transcended race. And then The Undertaker came out with his fucking whole dead man walk coming out. And he's like, Vince McMahon, you see, Farouk may have played the race card, but that don't matter to The Undertaker. Because I'm not white, I'm not black, I'm not purple, I'm the dead man. <laughs> if there's one thing cringier yeah, than when someone says, oh, I don't see colour, I, I don't see if you're white or you're black. It's when someone says, I'm not white, I'm not <laughs> yeah. black. Like, but you are, though. You literally, you literally are. are. You, you actually are. Uh, Cody Rhodes had a beautiful thing that he, he talked about. He was interviewed after one of the AEW shows, and he was asked about race relations and wrestling. And he said, when I first met my wife, Brandy, I said, I don't see colour. I was like, fucking hell, you heard that from the old man and your brother a fair bit, I imagine. Because that's that's such a wrestling. Nah, you can't, you can't tell me I'm racist because I don't see colour, so mm-hmm. shut the fuck up. You, no, I'm not having this conversation. And he was like, well, Brandy said, you may not see colour, but you've not seen my lived experiences mm-hmm. about what I've mm-hmm. had to go through. And it just shows how fucking tone deaf it is because this is Russo. This is his stuff. They're being edgy. It... This hideous to watch in 2017. Mm-hmm. And then Farouk is the baddie. Oh, man. And like, it, you know, three or four years ago when the New Day first showed up and they were... They were baddies. 
they were baddies and everyone straight away going oh you're doing the nation of domination and like they had the gimmick where yeah. Xavier was like we're more intelligent than this we don't have to do this and fight each other like oh you're doing the nation then you Farouk you're doing mm. the nation you gotta play the race card like oh fucking hell mm. yeah. wrestling fans have really been fucked up and conditioned yep. to accept a lot of weird shit as it pertains yeah. to race and again this is so weird to watch looking back like Farouk I don't know if you've heard him talk about race stuff I don't know if you've heard Farouk's kind of hot takes on some things. Mm. Farouk, and it's a shame that the only name I have to draw to is Bill Cosby, because obviously Bill Cosby is synonymous with lots of other things yeah. now. Yeah. But you remember Bill Cosby, the, the thing Hannibal Buress used to do is a bit about how Bill Cosby had his whole routine about, you know, pull your, pull your britches up, America. You know, black men are making other black men look bad. And there's no excuse in this country. You just got to be educated. You have no excuses, no matter where you come from, how poor you are, what color you are. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Work hard, and you will succeed. There's no excuse. Okay. And I've listened to shoot interviews with Freak from a while back. I'm not saying if it's his what he thinks currently, or even what he thought in '97. This was like 2003 or four, where he's like, "Doesn't matter if you're black or white." If you work hard, he says, and I go around and I talk to kids in all these inner city schools and I say to them, I say, your skin color isn't going to hold you back. And not in kind of a trust in yourself and you can achieve anything. Yeah. It's like no excuses. Yeah. Don't yeah. you don't you tolerate racism because that's not a thing and it will not stop you. Like. I don't know how useful that is. I don't think that's useful at all. <laughs> like, and I, I, my, from my vantage point, as a very white man, yeah, it's nice that he feels that way in some sense. Because I mean, he but... he pulled himself up by his bootstraps, and he was in. You know, Farouk is a very successful. He, for all his talk here, he is the first African American world champion because he did it in WCW years prior. He did, but like. Does he genuinely not believe that he could have gone further if wrestling wasn't such a racist industry? Like, yeah. it, I think you've got to acknowledge the fact that, like, even if you are a person of color that's had like huge success, like Booker T, there's always going to be a part of him that knows it could have been more if it wasn't oh, yeah. black, black. That's why he was over the moon about Kofi winning because yeah. as successful as his career was, it was never as successful as the white guy. At that time, it was just not a possibility. No, for, you don't do that, you know. And I think it speaks to. A lot of the ingrained stuff with Vince McMahon and the WWE as a whole, and in wrestling as a whole, you know, mm. it's it's obviously not just WWE, but they're the main players in town. I just think that there's more stuff coming with this nation thing now. Oh, there is with this gang war stuff, it and a fucking chill is. went down my spine. But just the fact that they use the you know they have the talking points on Raw, where it's like the thing this is going to be repeated five times mm. tonight. And when for two weeks in a row it was race cards. Mm -hmm. I was expecting it to be on the graphics here tonight, like, you know, the race card. And they talk about it like it's the most deplorable act you could commit playing yeah. the race card. Undertaker, don't you worry about Paul Bearer's blackmail. Worry about this black male. Boom! <laughs> Pretty damn good, that. <laughs> Pretty damn good. You want to talk about... The Undertaker being blackmailed by Paul Bear. Uh, do you notice that Paul Bear is back with the dead yes. man, Billy? What's your understanding of this? No one actually says at this point what it is because it's not been revealed. Yes. My guess was that it was going to be the debut of Kane. Aha! Uh -huh. Is what I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Which it doesn't end up being is what the blackmail is. It, it connects to it, but it's not the main piece of it. We're like one I step thought, away. Yeah. yeah. If you know, if 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 you you know, if you don't do what I say, I will reveal that you have got a a brother, and then that would also tie it into your family history, which we you don't want people to know. So it starts off with Bear coming back from his 
horrible burns that he suffered at Revenge yes. of the Taker. And as the bandages go away, we get the Paul Bear that we saw in season one, the mm. red-haired, you know, less comically pale-faced actual Paul Bearer. Uncle Vernon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no post on Sundays! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Harry Potter had the look of the devil! <laughs> it comes out that he says he's got a secret and he says, align with me, Undertaker, or I'm going to let the whole world know about it. And Undertaker's like, I ain't doing shit. And then the week before, he's like, I'm going to tell him you've got seven days and I will and you know it's the seventh day now I'm going to reveal it and then Undertaker buckles at the last second and he goes down his knee he does the sign to, to Paul Bear and now Paul Bear is like the most loathsome manager ever it's like anytime you try to talk with the Undertaker Paul Bear's like shut up talk to me it's about me 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 I'm going to make loads of money because he's going to wrestle and I'm his manager so I'm going to take all of his payday what a horrible thing yeah it's like working for free now or something. What it has led to is we're getting a more human Undertaker now. Because this is the first time they're trying to show that he's tormented and genuinely miserable because of Paul Bearer. And you have there's several promos where he says words to the effect of, I do not like Paul Bearer. I hate his guts. I'm only doing this to protect the ones that I love. Those loved ones that I care about. I can't have them knowing the truth. And he keeps talking about the people that he loves yeah. and the ones that he cares for. And then we get the great line. You've got, you've got to imagine, Billy, Undertaker with a teardrop drawn on. With in, a in a blue emotional room. Blue okay. emotional room, <laughs> like he's talking about the Howard Power. And he's got the little drawn on teardrop and a big sad frown on his face. And he goes, the only thing I know is that after I'm done on this earth, I will not be going to hell. Because I'm living it right now. <laughs> Crawling through my veins. These words that will not heal. It's so fucking cute, isn't it? Yeah. The only thing which kind of ruined it a little bit. And I love that Paul Bear is like Black Man Undertaker so we can have him be the guy, his guy again. And then like Jim Ross when they're coming out. Jim Ross is like, could you believe it? All those months ago at SummerSlam 1996 where Paul Bear turned his back and betrayed The Undertaker. And now he is blackmailing The Undertaker so that he can join up with The Undertaker. Mm, uh -huh. it's like, Hang on, wait, what? what? Yeah, it, when you put it all together, it makes no sense. Yeah. Which brings us to Journey Into Darkness. Yay! Yay! I don't know, where's Majid? <laughs> Where's Madrid? Well, Kane's just got back from Madrid and he's been <laughs> uh, he's been trapped in a basement fighting off guys in the dark for days on end. But even though Paul Bear has gone to all this trouble of training Kane and paying for his airfare and everything, it doesn't matter now because he's got the Undertaker back. And I'll read you a nice extract okay. if I may. Excellent. With one Callaway in hand, Bearer didn't need the other. Not right away, at least. Of course, he didn't want Kane to go flying off the handle, go seek out his brother, mess things up all over again. He needed to keep the man under control. So Kane, unfortunately, got sick again. <laughs> the chemicals came out. Damn it. Too sick to leave Bearer's house. Too sick sometimes even to eat. He grew delirious. Bearer hired a nurse to watch him while he was away on tour. That didn't work out so well. And that nurse was Gene Snitsky. <laughs> he had no idea broken bones were so expensive to fix. Oh my god. He locked Kane in his bedroom the next time. The man was so delirious he didn't even notice. He didn't even bother to eat. The chemicals were wrong, Bearer decided. <laughs> He'd do better next time. So, 
And this is Adam. This is your essay that you've written for <laughs> for your GCSE English class. <laughs> so Bera has paid for Kane to fly to Spain, get all this amazing training in Krav Maga, Jiu Jitsu, the works. Come back stronger than ever, ready to take on the Undertaker. Mm. But now he's got the Undertaker again with the blackmail. So he's like, ah, fuck it. I'll just chemicals. One eye on the chemicals at all time, Paul. Come on, you got to be better than this. Mm. You know, seriously. Well, thanks for the jid, Adam. I really appreciate the update. You know, I appreciate a hot slice of jid whenever I can get it. I do love the Michael Scott ass lilt in Todd Pettingale's voice, where he's like, Okay, guys, let's go back to ringside. <laughs> Lame. What was it? Was he trying to be cool? I genuinely... And I only say this because it's Todd Pettengill and he made that fucking Oreo joke before. Yeah. I genuinely think it was because he was with Farouk. Oh, there's black people. Yeah, he, I think he was like, hey, Bonics, right? Am I right? He's like, 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 Quentin Tarantino can't help himself. Yeah, I'm yeah. in the company of black people. I'm going to speak this way. They'll love this. Like... <laughs> I like as well when Taker's with Doc Hendricks and Doc's like, I just want you to know, Undertaker, that we will always love you. No matter what the secret is. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> what if he's a pedophile, mate? Like, could, what if that's the secret? Just cut to two years later. I burned down the funeral home. <laughs> I murdered my parents and tried to murder my little brother. We will always love you. No matter what, I will never take down my 32-foot banner of The Undertaker that hangs on the side of my house and is available now. Whoa! I've only just spotted it in the, the crowd. Did anyone else see the Kill Farouk sign? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've got that noted down. It's a quite an angry sign, huh, Billy? Mm. Very aggressive. So it's Undertaker versus Farouk here for a WWF Championship match. Not expecting a whole lot out of these two. No, I put this match off for four days. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the rest of this pay-per-view in one go, and I got to this match, it's like, nah. <laughs> Wait, do you want to see the ministry literally by itself? Waited, I literally <laughs> waited four days to watch this. I love your distaste for The Undertaker. <laughs> was this uh, Undertaker of all for you then, Bill? Was this, did, did, did the vintage, the four-day vintage, letting the match breathe, did that help well, at let's all? Just, let's just say I was not disappointed in terms of I knew it was going to be shit, and it was shit. Mm. Yeah. We get old school by The Undertaker, who uh, dives onto the nation as he's halfway through doing it. That was pretty cool. That was cool and unexpected, actually. Yeah, I liked that. It did look like he fell. Mm, little bit. Savio was like, whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's right there, you know? Old school again. He gets introduced by Dealer Brown this time. Got a cool spot where Farouk gets the steps and Taker big boots the steps into Farouk. Mm. I like that a lot. Farouk coming out of Undertaker with some heavy offense. A big, dirty L pile driver. Oh, that was fucking brilliant. Like. Yeah, very good. We got a really crap rest hold on the ropes by Farouk. Like he's he's getting him in the in the loosest chin lock with one toe on the fucking bottom rope. And his toe is shaking like he's at a job interview waiting room or something. Like he looks like he's just anxious. So yeah, we got a dominator attempt. <laughs> attempt. Yeah, you know you think Undertaker's gonna sell for the dominator, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Make sure you do it real good to me. Do it on the outside, it'll look even better, it'll look real kick ass like. <laughs> Paul berates Mark Calloway in the corner. Mm. Stop getting beaten up! Get up now! Win the match! <laughs> Get up, John! <laughs> Savio, Crush and Clarence all have a bit of a uh, malfunction at the junction at mm. back. Yeah. So they have an issue. They're disagreeing with each other with regards to the amount of interference, I think. <laughs> yeah. And Farouk just turns around and he's like, what's going on here? Mm. The nation are arguing. 
I can't believe it. This has never happened no, before. It was back to The Undertaker in the middle of my match with The Undertaker, who I assume is still laid out after me not giving him the Dominator. You three, the way you're going at it now, yes, I'm going to have it out right now. When, well, right now is the time to do it. Nip it in the bud. If you kids don't keep this car... Right, that's it. Back to the nation of Domination. I'm turning <laughs> this car right around. So, yeah, he gets distracted. Undertaker sits up, gives him this tombstone, which was... Terrifying to say. Yeah, that looked ugly. I mean, he was a little bit shaky in the legs. Yeah, Farouk barely got his head up there. I mean, that's a move you don't want to take wrong. No, no. you want to have a hundred percent confidence in that move. So yeah, Tombstone Pile Driver, Undertaker wins clean as a whistle. Quite a short match actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it went on last just because Taker's not had a lot of these title defenses on last yet. And then Savio and Crush come in. They get choke slams. Fucking hell! Whatever about Stone Cold Steve Austin, Savio with the most Luigi choke slam in history. <laughs> His legs. He was kicking and fluttering yeah. like nobody's business. The nation's all crumbling apart. They all get beaten up. They all get laid out. Everyone shouting at each other, and they all leave the ring. Everyone is gone except one person who was left. Did you see who was left by Farouk's side? No. D'Lo Brown. D'Lo. D'Lo mm. was in the corner on his own waiting for Farouk. Loyal D'Lo. Loyal D'Lo. D'Loyal, mate. D'Loyal Brown. Remember that one. Paul then demands a choke slam. Give him the choke slam. He gives a big choke slam to Farouk. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Even like five choke slams. Sad. It is. And every time he does the choke slam. D-Lo's in the background going, No! He's wailing for Farouk. He believes in One Nation under Farouk with liberty and justice for absolutely no one. It's so sad. Really and ta- sad. Taker's like, feels really shitty at this point. He's like, you know, he's not, you know. I know he played the race card and all, man, but still. But, like, but to the point that the crowd have started throwing rubbish. Yeah, it was really effective. You really got the sense that Taker was being played by this fucking monster Paul Bear. Agreed, but at the expense of Farouk. Like, yeah, in fairness. It felt like he was getting the Mark Miro, see you later, you're off now, yeah. kind of. Your character's being killed off here. Well, I guess the reason they did this so much was that the next night Farouk comes out and he brings out the whole nation as like, kind of, what went wrong last night? And he's like, what went wrong last night? And they go, you know, all the dudes who are in tuxedos. The nameless guy. <laughs> the nameless guy's like, first of all, none of y'all ever take any bumps. You're all fired. Get the hell out of here. And he's like, Crush, you're fired. You're rubbish. Get out of here. Savio, you're always complaining. You're fired. Get to stepping. And then in the ring, all you have left is D'Lo, Clarence, and Farouk. And Farouk's like, there's going to be a new nation now because all these people are all disloyal. No one, tr- no, I can't trust any of these guys. None of these guys have my back. They won't fight for me. They won't die for me. And there's only one man who left who I gotta get rid of. And the whole time Clarence, who in storyline, Clarence is the kind of the original guy you kind of yeah, got in Farouk's ear. He's the brains of the operation, even though because they clearly don't like him, he gets no mic time anymore. Mm. And the whole time he's saying, someone else has gotta go, Clarence is like, that's right, D'Lo, you're go- you're gone, you're out of here. And D'Lo is like the the kid whose like name's been called in class. He's like Oh no, yeah. oh no. And then Farouk goes, Clarence, your ass is fire. Get out of here. And Dio's like, oh! <laughs> sick. <laughs> and Dio runs over quickly to hold the ropes open for Farouk. And Farouk says, no, no, you don't do that. Let's just leave together. 
because we're together now. And then the new nation, we get Kama joins the new nation as well. Mm -hmm. So we're getting a new nation mm. domination after this, which I like a lot. Yeah, it needs a bit of a shake-up, I guess. It does. I mean, it didn't make much sense that Sevio and fucking Crusher there. Mm. Are you, do you guys know about gang wars? I've been... You know, I know a little bit and I kind of don't want to know anymore because one of the major things that I kept getting when we announced what season four was going to be, a lot of people being like, oh, 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 gang wars, right? Yeah. And it's got me really nervous. I'm like, very nervous. I know we're getting the Truth Commission. That's as far as much as I know. Truth Commission, DOA. Yeah, the DOA debuted as a four-man stable the night after this. Yeah. Okay. Not just Ron and Don, the Harris with two S's. Not just those guys. It's also Brian Lee in there from ECW. So we got some got some bikers coming in. Yeah. Got some Los Bariquas coming our yeah. way as well. It's it's not about race, lads, but here are some white supremacists. <laughs> in a gang war. <laughs> yeah. Like. yeah. So who comes out at the end of this now to try and talk some sense into the dead man? Ahmed. Ah, what do you think of this? I was surprised. Where do you think they were going with this, Billy? I was thinking that maybe we're going to have... Not, I don't know, not necessarily Ahmed joining the nation, but a little bit of maybe Farouk going, you know, I appreciate what you did last night, mm. considering what we've done. You know what? We're cool. Yeah, as in like a way to to form a bond between them yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of mutual respect, because it's not like he's out there going, hey, leave my friend Farouk alone. No, no. no. no he's, he's a human being. Leave him alone. It's it's Yeah, it's partially that, that it's like you're going a bit overboard on this person who is still a human at the end of the day. And also, like, Ahmed, and I think he clarifies this on Raw as well, he's sort of like, you're the fucking Undertaker, dude, and this guy's telling you what to do. Yeah, like, I mean... Get your head together, man, because you're the best and you're like being pushed around by this fella. Like. I, I thought that Ahmed did so well here. Yeah, I thought unbelievable Ahmed. the emotion and the fact that it was Farouk as well. Yeah. Pro that was, it was so cinematic and movie-like, honestly. From from the bit with D'Lo and that follow-through, because I only got that on my... Like, I'd seen that match before and I never picked up on it. It was only from watching it again. I was like, oh, shit, there's a lot of layers here. And mm. I think Russo deserves credit as ill-judged and as poorly aged as so much of the story is, getting to see a wrestler with a, not just being like, I want to fight you, a wrestler saying, hey, you're not living up to your role as this guy that you're meant to be and leave him alone, this guy that I have this, all this fucked up history with. That was fucking awesome. And Ahmed, as over the top as he is, he's got emotion in his voice, his voice breaking where he's yeah. like, you know, he's a human being. Leave him alone, for fuck's sake. Come on, now. You're the Undertaker. <laughs> I love that. What I don't love is that Ahmed does join the Nation of Domination then mm -hmm. and then cuts a promo about being held down by the white man and that Undertaker was worse than a slave aye, 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 because aye, aye, aye. he took orders from another man and another man don't take orders from a man and it's just bad. And then he said the reason he joined the nation is because none of the fans backed him up because he's a black man. Okay. Oh, and Which, he's the most over guy in the fucking roster, it yeah. feels like at times. Which nation does he join? Does he, is he joining Joins the new, new, nation. new nation? So the new nation is Kama, Farouk, Ahmed and D'Lo. And no, like... No, like, henchmen, no kind of extra guys, no, no PG-13, no gentlemen. It's those four as, as a mm. foursome. Now, I did say we're not going to have any more Ahmed matches, but I will talk about that in our next episode, mm. which will be In Your Haste, Canadian Stampede. But that was King of the Ring 1997, 
a lot of storyline, a lot of world building, not a lot of great matches. I don't think we'll be long on this one, but match of the night MVP, Billy, what do you got? Match of the night, special mention to Mick Foley versus Jerry Lawler. Oh yeah, did you enjoy that? Very much enjoyed the healery of Jerry and just him like him biting Foley's face, I very much enjoyed. Actual match of the night will go to, unquestionably, to Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold Steve Yeah, is it, is it easier to say is that everyone's match of the yeah. night? Yeah, because it's mine too. That was yeah. awesome. Such an incredible match. Definitely one I think that gets dropped by the wayside, because it's not it's not a rest, it's a King of the Ring match. Yeah, it's not a big name show. Like. Two, two tag champions fight each other. It ends in a double DQ, but that is like the best finish ever. So yeah. I, I can't believe how good it was. Yeah. So awesome. And your MVP then? Special mention to Lawler for his healery, but my MVP for similar healery is Austin. Mm. In the main event. Especially attacking Sean when Sean's trying to help a kid with Down syndrome. <laughs> yeah, that is was such so... amazing improvised off the cuff healery. Yeah, absolutely. And not a lot of people can do that. Yeah. A lot of a lot of guys on the in the roster here and the roster now, if something similar happened, they'd just be in the ring just going. Um, yeah. um, mm. But Austin's the kind of guy who can say, "I can." use this to my advantage to get some heat. I feel like they stopped doing that in that, when we got to in 98, where it was like, here in 97, they're like, we don't know why people are cheering. He he breaks the rules all the time. He's a total renegade. He's an outlaw. But Austin, even though he was still Austin cussing out, he wouldn't do straight up heelish things. No. no. You know, he wouldn't like, you know, attack someone from behind like a coward or like, you know, use the ropes for advantage or low blow people. He was pretty... I mean, he did the, the gut kick, I guess. Yeah, but, but when they call Austin an anti-hero, this is what they're talking yeah. about yeah. Like this period of Pro time. Austin is like properly like, he is uh, acting heel. The fans are just cheering him as yeah. it stands. He is a jerk, though. So we know your match of the night, but your MVP, Adam, who's it going to be? Mankind, Ooh. I'm going to say. Like, I, if anyone was going to win the King of the Ring outside of Triple H, it should have been him, for sure. Mm. I feel like he went overboard with overcompensating, and he, he took out too much on his own body when it was really unnecessary. But that said, he was one of the only guys on the pay-per-view tonight that I think really did respond to the crowd, try and go above and beyond to get the crowd into the show. And considering everything that's been going on like with his character lately, culminating in this, I think he's been playing this fucking wonderfully. The two promos he did tonight, both of his matches, like every appearance mm. he made on this pay-per-view, I think he knocked it out of the park, even yeah. if he did go a little overboard at times. It was, it was too much ice cream cake at the end of uh, his, his appearance, it felt like. He yeah. was, was giving him a bit too much, and there was, there was diminishing returns. But I think I'd agree with Foley for my MVP. I mean, I do really want to single out Austin as well, in that, you know, where you've got Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, the two top guys who are probably making considerably more money yeah. than him. Austin's still got something to prove. He's still, and he's, and he's proving it. And, and it was around this time where Vince had basically was telling the writers and he was telling JR, etc., that Austin's the guy now. And he wasn't saying, I'm getting rid of Brett or Sean's going to go out to pasture or I don't want to do this 20-year deal with Brett. That's coming very soon, mind, though, him saying he wants to restructure that deal. It was very much a case, I think, that Austin was like, well... I'm not, you know, you know, let's say Austin's not got his own issues. He clearly fucking does. Yeah. But he's not bringing those issues to work. Yeah. And it doesn't affect his performance. The thing is, Austin was told by a doctor that he has to retire and stop wrestling. He was fucking going hell for leather. Yeah. I think Austin, Austin knew at this point that it was his his spot to take. Yeah. But yeah, Mankind, 
what long-term character booking. That, that for me, has to, he has to take the MVP for that because anyone can have those videos and then not follow through mm-hmm. on that in your character, in your ring, in the matches. I think there was a beautiful harmony of his performances and the writing and the commentary and the, the way the crowd... Like, how rare is it these days where the crowd will just react the way you want them to fucking react for the story to make sense? We want to make someone sympathetic, so we do a thing that makes you go, ah, and instead you fucking cheer or boo or you yeah. know it never happens so yeah. easily anymore but this feels like this is preempting stuff that happens in, in november 1998 mm-hmm. and also as well folks they already know kane is debuting at bad blood and it's glenn jacobs and the costumes all made this yeah. is all done they all know and even though there's some boring chance and the attendance at the shows isn't great and the ratings they're still being beaten heavily by wcw they're sticking with it. Mm-hmm. So that's fucking it. Like, how often in the last year and a half in WWE, where we are in 2019, where they went, okay, this ain't working. Yeah. Reset. The you're you're the authority yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Reset. Shane McMahon's in charge. Okay. Reset. Draft. Reset. Wildcard rule. You know? Yeah. Whereas here, it's like, okay, they're not getting it 100%, but we know this is right. We have confidence in these guys, and we're going to be off to the races in a few months. And fucking hell. This shit's gonna get hot real quick. Very yeah. quickly. And it could be no more capacity crowds to yeah. fucking lie about. <laughs> and that is it for episode on King of the Ring uh, 1997. Thank you so much for listening in. And again, as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher, make sure to give us an old rating or review, or tell a friend about the podcast and word of mouth letting people know about our lovely little show and what season they might like to check out first is always a fabulous way to help the show. And as well, you can give us a like on facebook.com forward slash Attitude Era Podcast or follow us on Twitter at AE Podcast. Those media channels where you'll find lots of videos of some of the moments from our podcast. I love a video, me. It's a good video. They're normally about two minutes long. It's some of your favourite moments from episodes old and new, and even some little previews of some of our Patreon content. Adam, we can get some of that whole juicy Patreon content now. Seeds and all. Yeah, you can. If you want an especially big preview of the Patreon content, you can check out our Photo Slam Let's Play review where we checked out some fucking god-awful photo editing software Mm. that WWF decided it would be a good idea to release in 1999. A wild time was had by all, and there's lots of video content on the Patreon feed, and it's full-length episodes. That's our shortest one. They go up to, like, an hour, like, movie-length The the last one was an hour and 40, I think. Yeah, so definitely worth checking out as part of the uh, Patreon, and, of course, as well, Patreon's where you can get access to not just those video episodes, but also the SmackDown Crawl. Coming up on 50 episodes of the SmackDown Crawl, the Bibliotech Book Report series. There's some episodes of that on the main timeline, such as Journey Into Darkness and The Rock Says. But if you want four two-hour-plus episodes about the Hardy Boys book, or a three-parter about Bob Holly's autobiography, or even juicier than that, Triple H making the game. <laughs> That's still very fresh for me, Kevin. As well as that, you can, of course, get access to Q&A episodes for myself, Adam and Billy, for a $10 backing. Get access to all our commentary tracks for $20 backing. And we've opened up the caption contest for sponsorship. More details is available at patreon.com forward slash podcast. Support the show, help episodes get made, and more importantly, get yourself a whole shitload of audio content from myself, Adam, and Billy. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't see stuff in things. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can almost say, but I transcend 
stuffing things. Oh, and if you too transcend nothing things, nothing things is what I just said. <laughs> if you too transcend stuffing things, have a look over to MatthewsBotchermania.com. Keeble out. <laughs> It's just like jazz, baby. It, it just comes to you like Easy that. peasy, baby. Well, until next time, while we're going to be in your haste, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. Me, Adam. And me, Billy. And we'll be seeing you at the Canadian Stampede on the next Attitude Era podcast.